Hello there, little masters, and welcome back to the Prancing Pony Podcast, where tonight, the good stuff will make you feel strong enough to lay siege to Mordor for seven years. West to hell, my friends. I'm Sean Marchese, the real-life Lord of the Mark, and I'm here with the Man of the West, the Aragorns, my AMR, Alan Sisto. Thank you, Sean. Well, folks, tonight we start the very last chapter of the Silmarillion, the rather wow. obviously titled Of the Rings of Power in the Third Age. Or, since we like our difficult-to-pronounce acronyms like Spibimi here at the Prancing Pony, we'll call it Otropata. <laughs> That's uh, difficult to pronounce indeed. I like it. Um, if, you, if, if you take the whole title into consideration, we're actually back to those ofs again. Of yeah, the rings are. of power. Of. Uh, but and we could of. just as Yeah, exactly. Oh, that's true. A couple of ofs. It's a, it's a two <laughs> of chapter title. Um, but, uh, you know, we could just as easily have said we're raising a glass of the good stuff to toast old friends and older enemies, mm. couldn't we? Because yep. we're about to spend a lot more time with some guys whose names you folks already know. Elendil, Isildur, Gilgalad, and of course, Sauron. Well, not to mention next time we'll be reading about a little thing called a, a halfling. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> that sounds interesting. Yeah, no spoilers, though. <laughs> well, honestly, seriously, I don't, I don't yeah. think anything in these last 20 pages is going to be a surprise to anyone. So I hope not. Spoil away. Yeah, oh, absolutely. I have been released from my shackles. I shall spoil. <laughs> But for Sean, please do. Yeah, like a like a like a bad egg. I'll just spoil like that. But <laughs> first, Sean, do we have anything from Barnum's bag today? Yeah, first we've got one from Andreas L in Stockholm, Sweden. He mm-hmm. wrote in a little while ago and said, "I have a question about a Kalabath that's been bothering me for so long, and I'd love your thoughts on it." Only nine ships escaped the downfall. How many people could have been on all those ships? Surely the Numenorean ships exceeded even the largest sail ships we ever had during the 19th century. But still, in the last alliance, there was supposed to be an enormous army of Dunedain. Absolutely, there were many of the faithful living along the shores of Middle-earth who had moved there during the last centuries before the downfall. But how could there have been an army of over, say, 20,000 Numenoreans? I just can't get the maths to fit together. Hmm. Uh, and then he goes on to speculate that um, that there may have actually have had to be at least 50,000 uh, to oh, have not heavens. to not have the race basically be wiped out after, you know, the, the whole war of the last alliance, the battle, battle of Dagrela, the siege mm-hmm. of Barad-dur, and of course, the Gladden fields. Yeah. Um, and so he goes on to say, or say there were only 10,000 people on the ships. And after the war, maybe a quarter of that in Middle Earth. Um, this is, in my opinion, the most likely, but there's so few left alive, especially since the Numenorians had so few children. Um, have mm. you found a source on this that I haven't? That explains, you know, how they managed to muster such a big force. And what are right. your thoughts on this map? Okay. So, uh, really good question, Andreas. It and, is. That's uh, an interesting one. Yeah, and I'm I'm looking forward to doing some math and maybe having Alan do some <laughs> is math. This here more math? Do we have to it do is. more math? We have to do more math. Uh, you know, math, I have seen math, 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 <laughs> math. Yeah, you know, I I have seen the speculation that I think Andreas is thinking about, that there must have been around Mm 20,000 Dunedain warriors. I'm not really sure where it comes from, but I have seen the number before. So, okay. That's that's a pretty big army. I mean, it would take a lot to to put on a siege around uh, about a door, even with the elves involved. Yeah. So, it's you know, it seems like a a good enough number to work towards. So, let's give it a shot. Okay. So... Uh, here's the first thing I thought of was, you know, remember, the last alliance did not happen immediately after the downfall. Uh, the downfall of Numenor was in uh, 3319 of the Second mm-hmm. Age. Right. And then the Battle of Dagorlad was in 3434. So that's 115 years between mm-hmm. the between leaving Numenor and, you know, going to war against Sauron. Okay. So 115 years means pretty long time. time. For, 
It is. And, and there's time for some population growth, which I think is the key here. Now, I'm obviously n- <laughs> and they are men. So, you know, <laughs> yeah, that's true. Um, now, I, I'm no expert in the field, obviously. Um, I'm not an expert in any field that I know of. But um, <laughs> some quick Googling tells me that the estimated population of the world in 1900 was 1. 1.6 billion. And today, 117 years later, it's 7.5 billion. So that wow. is more than quadruple growth in 117 years, which is almost exactly the time span we're talking about, 115 mm-hmm. years in Middle right. Earth. Now, of course, that's with modern medicine and modern agriculture and you know, we can be sure that the Numenorians who, you know, the, the dregs of society that washed up on the shores of Middle Earth certainly didn't have, you know, modern agriculture and pesticides and things like that. No. Um, did you even bring your refrigerator had... with you? Did you, did, did you pack a hospital? <laughs> any penicillin? Bring, bring some, yeah, really. No kidding. So even if they'd had any technology back home, they certainly right. didn't have it by the time they got here. But no. they did have long lifespans. In fact, longer That's than... true longer than anything that modern medicine can do for us. I mean, mm-hmm. Elendil was 300 years old by oh the time he was killed in goodness. battle. Isildur and Anarion were over 200. So, okay. and that was even, you know, that was even in the waning years of the Numenorians. So true. I guess kind of where I'm getting to is 115 years is time for people to reproduce. And for Numenorians, at the end of 115 years, probably most of the original survivors were still alive. That's true. As opposed to, you know, like the, the quadrupling or the slightly more than quadrupling we see in on Earth from 1900 to, you know, say 2015. I mean, nobody from 1900 is alive anymore. So there's been, you know, some people dying off as well. Yeah. So I, mean, I guess you might I, be able to count survivors of born in 1900 on one hand. You know, I mean, right. 117, yeah. there might be two or three, but yeah, certainly not a, sure. you know, certainly nobody ready for not, battle. Not a, not a significant <laughs> amount. You know, we're not no. dealing with an average life expectancy of a couple hundred years. No, no. Um, so, you know, I, I don't know. I, I guess that makes a I big difference, I think, I think. I think that I would. Think, I think so. So I think population growth needs to be taken into account. But sure. I think you had some further math on this, didn't yeah. you? Yeah, I did. And, you know, we, we talked about the Numenorians last time not having had a lot of children, uh, That you know, mm-hmm. kind of like the elves. But that was under normal circumstances. This is the last remnants of a, of a fallen civilization. This is that yeah. deserted island, you know, kind of scenario <laughs> where they've got to repopulate. So, you know, you could, yeah, exactly. You could bet they were reproducing as much as they could, sort of like uh, little Numenorean bunnies. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) It's still Dorian. Gondorians have that winged helm. It's actually rabbit ears. There you go. (laughs) Those are rabbit ears. I love it. I absolutely (laughs) love it. Going to redraw the artwork, you know, with all those fabulous helms. Yeah. Um, I mean, Isildur and Anarian each had four kids. And right. all but is, and and seven of those eight, all but Isildur's youngest, were of fighting age by the time we get to the Battle of Daggerlad. That's true. So, yeah. for sake of this discussion, let's certainly accept that tripling their population was possible in 115 years, not quadrupling. I think they would have had to have some technology that they just didn't have, uh, but they did have that long lifespan. So, really, it would be the equivalent of doubling, but with all of the original generation still present. So, it's the equivalent mm-hmm. of tripling. That means they would have needed to start with 7,000 or so on those nine boats to get to 21,000. But, right. but and this is where it gets a little harder, that's just the men of fighting age. So we'd mm-hmm. have to account for the women and for boys and as well as men who are too old or, you know, who are, who are infirm. So if we right. increase that, if we kind of ballpark that times 2.5 to, to get to 50,000, allowing for 20,000 women and, and 10,000 some uh, children boys and and, and old old men who couldn't fight. We'd have to start with 17, taking into 000. account that you know probably the Numenorians have more 
years of good fighting absolutely in them than he would well yeah certainly relative to their lifespan Ellen Dill was over 300 years old when he was killed right, in battle exactly, so yeah. you know right, it's not exactly. like they stopped fighting at 71 or something you know right, right. Um, so you know I'm thinking that we'd probably need to start with about 17 16 17,000 on those nine boats in order to get to you know say 50,000 in order to, to have 20,000 fighting men that would okay. be you know around 18 to 1900 per boat so that's a lot. Uh, I don't know about 18th okay. century boats as much, but I do know that the Titanic, which, of course, is significantly larger, I would imagine, than, yeah, sure. than anything even the Numenorians could have produced, uh, that carried 3,300. So, I don't know. Okay. Maybe it so is possible. Maybe, maybe a boat half that size with half that capacity, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Packed in a little tighter probably, you know. Yeah. yeah. Um, but let's not forget this is meant to be mythology. You know, exactly. We, this is kind of yeah. like it makes me think of those questions that we had about the details of agriculture uh, or even the, the size of Encaligon that we talked about recently. Yeah. Some yep. things are just going to defy real-world criteria, real-world measurements. Um, that yep. j- just wasn't the kind of realism that Tolkien was interested in. He was interested in that historic realism, that yep. that feel that you have of this being a, a real, genuine place, uh, rather yep. than those right. those nitty-gritty, nitty-gritty details. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so there are going to be places where we just have to take things a little less literally, and unfortunately. Yeah, no, I think that's true, and I think of some of like the, you know, the old classical epics, you know, or these uh, these feats of strength that you oh, know yeah. supposedly ordinary men did, you know, you know, I don't know. It, yeah, it, it's. Yeah. I, I suppose there's a certain amount of exaggeration that you have to account yeah. for, but poetic, uh, poetic license. Poetic license is a good way to put it, um, yeah. and I think you're right. I mean, I think that's the important thing to keep in mind. Whatever the numbers don't really add up, is that this is a myth. Exactly. Um, but you know, hey, at least we've got uh, we, we've got a, a, a possible path to the numbers. Yeah, so uh, I think hopefully we do. that. Hopefully that satisfies you, Andreas. I hope so. Sean, any other questions? Yeah, we've got one more, and this one came from Keith in Oklahoma. So there are still people in Oklahoma listening to us after my after, horrible, horrible after comment. After you, uh, yeah. you insulted the several states. <laughs> after, you, after you managed to insult Oklahoma and several other states. Yeah. And then Texas, and then North Dakota. Yeah, yeah. that was, that was yeah. bad. Check our outtakes on our uh, on our website, oh, folks. If or, you haven't or heard don't. that, or, or don't skip that one. You can oh, skip it was that. fine. It was fine. It wasn't. Listen that to bad. the ones where we mock Sean. Those are so much more fun. If <laughs> if I recall, Keith actually wrote in and uh, and said he thought that one was pretty funny. <laughs> well, good. I'm glad. I'm Thank you, mistaken. Keith. Appreciate your patience, Keith. Maybe I'm putting words in your mouth. I don't know, but uh, <laughs> at least at least one Oki wrote in to say he wasn't too offended. Good. But Keith actually wrote in on this one to say this has been brewing in my head for a while. I have decided for myself, barring proof otherwise, that Narsil <laughs> is in fact the sword left in Vinyamar by Turgon. I offer no oh. proof, except that Narsil mm. is a great heirloom of the royal line of Numenor. Okay. The sword of the kings was the sword of Thingol, Aranruth. So that would leave That's the right. sword of Tuor to pass to a lesser royal. Or maybe only the faithful put enough value in it to claim it. The fact that Telhar wrote both is, of course, mm. a strong factor in my thoughts on this. For myself, barring, barring proof otherwise, is that what we call a headcanon? Probably, that yeah. The, that, that was I, a, I heard somebody use that phrase, and I what in the world is headcanon? Head, I learned that word not too long ago myself. In fact, I think yeah. it might have been one of our listeners mentioned it on Facebook or something. Yeah, yeah. I didn't know there Basically. was such a thing. I always thought it was just either canon or not. I didn't realize you could make up your own. I, I think it's just a fancy word for your own interpretation of something, yeah. really. Yeah, I think but. so. But uh, It certainly is an interesting idea. Um the first thing that comes to mind is is that Tuor, who would have picked up that sword, um, in the fall of Gondolin, ended up fighting with that axe, uh, Dramorlag. Oh, yeah. 
And of okay, course, he, yeah. he killed multiple Balrogs with it. So <laughs> uh, he didn't fight with the sword. He fought with an axe. But but that axe was lost along with a lot of the other heirloom weapons, uh, including Arunruth, as, uh, as you mentioned, uh, in right. the fall of Numenor. So the sword's fate is, I guess, still in question. You know, we don't That's really know. Yeah. Um, I'll admit I like the speculation, but let's be honest. I also like the speculation a couple episodes ago about... Bilbo's mithril coat, and the more I think about it, the more that doesn't work either. So, <laughs> yeah, um, I like it, that one. But I know, yeah, I know. it was such a nice idea. But is there anything that yeah. we can hang our proverbial hats on here? I I don't I don't really think so. I mean, I yeah. think I think it's just pure speculation. I mean, fun, I'm I'm trying to think whether Turgon actually had any dealings with dwarves of Nagrod because that's where mm-hmm. Telkar was from. Well, it would have I mean, had to have been before while well, they were in Vinimar because that's when it would have had out. it would have had to have been yeah because I mean and Gondolin you know, doesn't it, accept deliveries. Right, exactly. As as we kind of were talking about recently, and I think in follow up to that question about the mithril coat, um, yeah. I mean, I, it seems to me that, yeah, I mean, Torgon would have had to commission it directly prior to moving to Gondolin, mm-hmm. which doesn't sound right to me because we know that Gondolin later on had such great smiths, right? You know, Glamdring and Orcrist and Sting, uh, yeah, um, yeah, some of the most famous swords of you know of Middle Earth. So. Uh, if they had that kind of smithing power later on, I, I, I'm, I would be surprised that even early on that they would be commissioning stuff from the dwarves. Yeah. Um, and so I guess it's either that or um, I, I don't know. I mean, Maybe and then there's the, the question Could of whether have been involved somehow since he was involved Maybe. with Ruth. Maybe, but he would have had to have. I mean, maybe because Thingol probably did have lots of dwarven swords lying around. Right. I suppose. <laughs> You know, I'm just picturing. I, I mean, which again, I, I, kinda, I, use today? I kinda think like if it was such a if it was such a special sword, you know, for Turgon to have left it behind in Vinyamar when he left, I don't know that that's the part well, that I kind of have a little trouble. Ulma with, would have had to tell him leave this sword behind. Leave this and well, that's true, and he did describe the armor. Yeah, so. and, and the arms, but yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I mean. It's it's a fun speculation. I'm, sure, I'm not going to sure. say it's not possible. And I think uh, I think Keith admits, you know, there's there's really yeah. no proof, but it's a cool thing to think. And that's kind of the beauty of uh, of Tolkien's leaving some things, you know, yeah. open for interpretation is that you can you can fill in these little gaps if you want to. I'm not going to say it's not accurate, but uh, no, no, there's certainly fun. no proof against it. You know, it's, right. it's it's conceivable. It's plausible, and it is probably more plausible than Bilbo's mithril coat. <laughs> yeah, it probably once is. belonged to Aaron. Sad to say, you know, I was thinking about that, and my my first thought was, why in the world would you make a mithril coat for a little boy who's going to outgrow that thing in about six months? <laughs> I mean, That's true. I keep buying shirts for my kid, and it's like six months later, dude. There's your you belly know, button. You know, those, to get a new the, shirt. Those gondolindrum, they're just throwing money around. You know, they don't. <laughs> they just they don't. You know, their economy was. Absolutely I'm loving too much on. the work of my hands. <laughs> Throw up the hands. Wave them in the oh, air man. like you just don't care. Oh, oh my goodness. You know, wow. I'm, I'm sure their economy had to have been great because they didn't do any trading with anybody. That's true. <laughs> I mean, the gondolin was yeah. the ultimate. Pure, self-sufficient. What's yeah. our trade deficit today, King? Zero. Zero. <laughs> Are we up or down from last quarter? None. Same. Yeah. <laughs> N-A. <laughs> yep. All right. Well, before we be- dig into this discussion, we want to talk to you again about a little something uh, What's coming down the road of the Prancing Pony podcast. Uh, a couple weeks ago, we talked about the summer of the Prancing Pony and all the cool things that we have coming your way over the next few months. There was that incredible spurt of five straight weeks with episodes being released. <sighs> We're still resting and recovering oh, from that. Yeah. Uh, as, as well as our conversation with John Garth. 
And of course, we're yeah, that was fun. Re- that was that was so much fun. Loved having him on. I hope we get to have him on again soon. Yeah. Um, we're really, really close now to the end of our journey through the Silmarillion. We're going to have that yep. special retrospective ad- uh, episode for you for that. Uh, and then, of course, we're going to have two episodes to talk about the films. Yeah, and then after that, we've got a very full month of September coming up. Oh, yeah. uh, let's see what's coming get up in that month. In August, got, folks. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no kidding. Uh, we've got what the 40th anniversary of the publication of mm-hmm. the Silmarillion. Yeah. Uh, then right after that, we've got the 80th anniversary of the publication of the Hobbit. Um, we're going to plan on doing at least one, maybe more than one, Facebook Live event that Definitely. month uh, to celebrate those. And we're also expecting a very special guest, Dr. Corey Olson, the mm-hmm. Tolkien professor himself, is going to be joining us. Yes, he will. And then right after we talk to him, we'll dive right into The Hobbit. That's right. But, you know, we also told you that we really want to bring you more content, more frequently. And we want to engage with you in ways that, that social media just can't, uh, just doesn't allow. But to do that, like we talked about last time, we really are going to need your help. It's only with your support that we can do all of the things that we want to do for you. And so we've started up a Patreon campaign. Now, for those of you not familiar with Patreon, a little reminder from what we talked about last time. It's a it's a crowdfunding site, kind of like Kickstarter, but it allows you to pledge a very small amount, just a tip really, uh, on a monthly basis. And doing that not only lets you fund some of these really cool new opportunities, but we're going to be working on some very cool rewards for our patrons. Yes, we are. And and those of you who have listened to us for a while know that we record the show a couple of weeks in advance of the release date. So as of today, when I'm saying this, um, even though it's the second time we've mentioned it, we still haven't quite <laughs> figured out uh, what all the rewards are that we're going to be offering. We're pretty um, close. We, we're pretty close. We've, we're narrowing that list down, um, but we're not quite there just yet. And mm-hmm. we don't have the link for the Patreon campaign yet. But Check back with us on Facebook at the yep. Prancing Pony Podcast or on Twitter at Prancing Pony Pod because by the time this episode releases, by the time you hear me saying this, we'll have all that available for you. Yes, we will. So with all that said, um, what kind of exciting plans do we have that we need your help with? Well, um, we've narrowed it down a little bit uh, from the last episode after doing some uh, extensive brainstorming. Uh, mm-hmm. Alan, you want to tell them what we've, uh, <laughs> what we've come up with by now? Well, between us, it's, it's probably not brainstorming. It's like brain light breezing. It's just kind of like brain gasping for air. <laughs> There's no storm front moving in with these brains. Just like no, a, a no. slight breeze. Just, just a, yeah. um, <laughs> you know, like Sean said, definitely check with our social media channels. Uh, we'll also, by that point, uh, have a video up that explains all of this. That'll give you uh, all of the reward tiers and our goals and what we're going to be doing and things like that. But but here are some of the ideas that we've narrowed it down to for now. The, the biggest one is one that we've had a lot of folks asking us to do for a while, and that is move to weekly episodes. Truth is, it takes a lot of time to prep, research, record, and post-process each of these episodes. I, we've been talking about yeah. it, and it's probably yeah. close to eight hours per episode for each of us. So that's yeah. that's a big yeah. number, and to move it to weekly is a really big ask. So we're going to need your help to make that happen. Um, mm-hmm. One of the other things we want to do, we want to do live Q&A sessions with our Patreon supporters, uh, giving you an opportunity to connect directly with us, and then turn around and use that uh, that Q&A you know, as, a, as an episode or as a special, as something that we can put out on Facebook. We want to do new special episodes maybe even a special series from time to time. And there's mm-hmm. one other big one, hosting special events like a, a pub night or a live episode recording at moots and conventions near you. Yeah, 
Yeah, it's a, it's a it's an exciting list, and it, is. Um, it really is. They are big, big. They list. are big plans, big mm-hmm. plans, um, and they're goals, really. Yeah, and, they really and are. we want to do it. If we do it, we want to do it right. Um, but you know, we are just two guys with limited time and and limited resources. Sadly, um, yes. Yes. Um, with your help, we do think we can do more for the Prancing Pony podcast community. We want to do more. Um, and so, again, we, we do need your help for that. So please check our website, check our social media channels for, for ways that you can support the adventure. The information is up there now. Yes. Um, and feel free to ask questions through our social media channels or at our our email address at theprancingponypodcast at gmail.com. That's theprancingponypodcast yes. at gmail.com. Not a Prancing Pony podcast or some Prancing Pony podcast, but the Prancing Pony podcast <laughs> at gmail. Or my Prancing Pony podcast. Or... <laughs> oh, oh, oh. I know where you're my going people. with that. The, the pony no, thing. Just, no, we're, no, we're, no, we're not just, going there. No, just like every, everything is <laughs> all know. customized these days. I know, days. it you really know, is. All like my this, your that. You I was know. thinking, what's that pony thing? That uh, My Little Pony. Oh, My Little not. Pony. Oh. That's where I was afraid you were going wow. with that. I didn't even think of that. <laughs> yeah, I wish now I hadn't. Now I can't stop. I wish I hadn't. Yeah. Anyway, um, there is one more thing that we do need your help with, folks, and this is regardless of whether you want to be a part of Patreon or not. We have a survey from our podcast host that will help us to get a better idea of who our audience is. It's a real short survey. I'm talking 15, 20 seconds. But the catch is we need 250 of you to complete it for us. Now, that's like five times as many people as, as have gone onto iTunes and reviewed us. So this <laughs> yeah. is a big ask of you. But but we're asking you to please help us out with that. Go to survey dot libsyn that's l-i-b-s-y-n dot com forward slash the prancing pony podcast and fill it out now we promise you this sean and i are the only ones who will get your email addresses and the demographic data is only gathered in aggregate so your privacy is completely assured please yep. help us out and complete the survey uh, if you missed the link go ahead and check our show notes we're going to post it there as well and we might be doing something pretty cool with those email addresses, like putting them all in a hopper and seeing what cool prize might go to somebody. But there you go. Details on that to come. Thanks in advance. And now it is time to move on to the third age. Can't believe we're finally here. I and I know. guess we're going to spend pretty much the rest of the podcast in the third age, aren't we? Yeah. You know, we really until, are until, until we, we get to unfinished until tales. Until we get to unfinished tales and some of the other craziness. That, Which, uh, yeah. I mean, when's UT going to be for our, us? Probably our four kid, years? I don't know. Our, our kids will be in college, I'm sure. <laughs> Not well, that long. Not that no. long. A few years, no. though. Yeah. Well, you know, I guess um, we'll have to see if Patreon's compatible with Medicare and Social Security. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> So I'm going to go ahead and uh, start with, well, as we've often said, the very beginning. That's a very good place to start. Very good place to start. Um, (laughs) Of old, there was Sauron the Maya, whom the Sindar and Beleriand named Gorthar. In the beginning of Arda, Melkor seduced him to his allegiance, and he became the greatest and most trusted of the servants of the enemy, and the most perilous, for he could assume many forms, and for long, if he willed, he could still appear noble and beautiful so as to deceive all but the most wary. When Thangorodrim was broken and Morgoth overthrown, Sauron put on his fair hue again and did obeisance to Aonwe, the herald of Manwe, and abjured all his evil deeds. And some hold that this was not at first falsely done, but that Sauron in truth repented, if only out of fear, being dismayed by the fall of Morgoth and the great wrath of the lords of the west. But it was not within the power of Aonwe to pardon those of his own order, and he commanded Sauron to return to Amon and there receive the judgment of Manwe. 
Then Sauron was ashamed, and he was unwilling to return in humiliation and to receive from the Valar a sentence, it might be, of long servitude in proof of his good faith, for under Morgoth his power had been great. Therefore, when Aonwe departed, he hid himself in Middle-earth, and he fell back into evil, for the bonds that Morgoth had laid upon him were very strong. Really interesting. Wow. Yeah, very. Very. There's a, there's a lot here about there is. Sauron and, and just sort of his response to... Yeah. And a lot, more than I think, a lot more than I think we'd think there'd be, just based on looking at those two paragraphs in Surface, huh? Mm, oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Well, we're here to crack that opener. That is exactly <laughs> it. Well, let's start with a little bit of word nerdery on Gorthaur. Uh, the appendix yeah, to the Silmarillion that. tells us that this uh, Sindarin name breaks down into the into the two elements, Gore, which means horror or dread, like Gorgoroth. Um, right. Uh, I, I, I'm sure there are others that I can't think of off the top of my head. Mm, that's the big one that, that, yeah, really that comes is. to mind. Yeah. It's, just, it's repeated, I guess, to be. Mm-hmm. It's really dreadful dread. <laughs> the, I think so, yeah. I, I, think, I think it is. Yeah. Uh, or yeah, they call horror. that reduplication, which is often done to, uh, yeah, to, to you know, to to uh, to emphasize. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, and then Thaur, which means abominable or abhorrent. Now, interestingly, mm-hmm. Sauron comes from that same Thaur root, and it means right. the the abhorred. And you've right. got more on that, that don't that you? That is correct. I do, yeah. Well, because you know, it, it tells us here that of old there was Sauron the Maya. It doesn't tell us anything about you know him before that, and clearly. The abhorred was not his original name when he was. <laughs> Gee, uh, thanks, mom and dad. Amaya of Ali, right? It's like, <laughs> really? Did you have to name me the abhorred? Um, now I bring this up because I think this is one of those uh, <laughs> good one. little little factoids that I think a lot of people you know see online. Mm-hmm. Um, his original name. His original name is actually attested if you dig really, really deep uh, into into Tolkien's really, essays and really deep. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, so James his Earl Jones deep. <laughs> oh man it is too late for me my son uh go ahead i'm so uh, sorry i yeah. i digress <laughs> no, that's all right it's, it's what we Just, do i'm trying to come up with a with a mufasa reference and i can't think of one because it's been I'm too lost. long yeah, i know um yeah no so uh so sauron's original name and you do see this mentioned online was myron m-a-i-r-o-n mm-hmm. um and it means admirable or excellent uh it's it's basically a the inverse of, of his uh, yeah. of his evil name. Um, the only source for this information, I said, you have to dig deep for it. The yeah. only source is a manuscript that Tolkien wrote that was called uh, Words, Phrases, and Passages in the Lord of the Rings. Um, it was published in a linguistic journal called, called Parma el Delambaron in 2007. So this is really new information uh, mm-hmm. for most of us. And there's one paragraph, like two sentences about it, and this is all it says. It says, Sauron's original name was Myron, but this was altered after he was suborned by Melkor. But he continued to call himself Myron the Admirable, or Tar Myron, King Excellent, until after the downfall of Numenor. <laughs> sorry, I'm sorry. King Isn't Excellent. that great? Get, That's get awesome. A little, get a little Bill and Ted. King Excellence Adventures, dude. Yeah, King Excellent. Oh, I, man. I, I bring this up because, you know, part of what we do is to elucidate all the information that's out there uh, on Tolkien's work. For those and of you char- at my grade level, that means shine a light on. <laughs> I'm, I'm just trying to help folks okay. out, Sean. Thank you, you very and your much. college Thank words. You. Appreciate that. I know my fancy college words. Um, now, I bring this all up because, you know, this, Myron is – for some reason, Myron has sort of become a fan favorite, I think, on yeah. the internet. Don't you think? There's, I, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of art. And I'll, be, I'll admit there's some cool art. 
that's out there, what people think Myron looked like. Mm-hmm. Um, there's some fan fiction. I'm, oh, don't I'm not get really me started on that. Yeah, I'm not really a fan fiction fan. I mean, hey, if, if you're into that, cool. Yeah, uh, it's yeah, it's not for me. No. Um, but here's my PSA for the day. Uh, anything <laughs> you ever hear about Myron before he was suborned, as Tolkien says, is a complete fabrication. Right. Tolkien didn't. There's there's nothing in history of Middle Earth. There's nothing even in those linguistic essays that no. tells us about who he was, his personality, or anything. All we have is the name and whatever That's you can it. assume about his personality from the name. So I just yeah. put that out there so people, you know, understand that the name is out there, but, you know, don't go looking for any information about and, who he and was really, before. Un- unless you want to kind of make yourself look like you're trying to be elite, don't call him that. Because yeah. you probably yeah. don't have a copy of Parma El Delambron on your shelf. Right. <laughs> you know, you, you probably yeah. found out this name from somebody else who found it from somebody else who found it from somebody else in a Facebook group. Right. And, and you're trying to sound like you're some super Tolkien geek. Yeah. And the, re- and the reality is that even super Tolkien geeks, most of the super Tolkien geeks I know, don't, don't know anything else about it besides yeah, There is nothing else about it. There is nothing else. Yeah. I, I think it seems to be popular amongst the folks who, who, and I don't know why there are people like this, who admire Sauron. Um, you know, the, 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 the people yeah. who kind of feel like that Morgoth or Melkor kind of an and Sauron kind of got the shaft and they like to blame Iluvatar for everything. Um, you know, yeah. it's, it's, yeah, there's a tendency to kind of see it as kind of an anti-hero and there's kind of yeah. like, there's very, is a very romanticized kind of attitude towards, um, you know, the nature of this character is kind of like, you know, I don't know, like almost Miltonian, like, you know, fall mm. from grace of this character, but, but none of that's in Tolkien's work. No, you're all, yeah, you're, not just, there. you're just imagining it if it's there, but. Um, yeah. it is, it is interesting. I suppose the fact that he continued to call himself King Excellent when everybody else was calling him the abhorred tells us quite a bit about his personality. <laughs> it probably does tell us quite a bit. Yeah. <laughs> I think That's he a was a little point. narcissistic, actually. I think so. I think King so. Excellent, well, you know, dude. <laughs> I'm King Excellent. You do not call me abhorred. I am King Excellent. <laughs> That's King Excellent to you. <laughs> or King Excellent the Admirable, if you want to reduplicate it. There you go. Tarmyron Myron. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> the excellent, the admirable. Okay, well, that's fun. Man. Anyway, um, thank you for that sidebar. No problem. I, I'm glad you, you you told us about all that. I had frankly, well, I hadn't forgotten about Myron, but I just lost all interest. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I do think it's interesting about this assuming many forms. You know, we, we see that um, back in the tale of Baron and Luthien, right? When he, in that one fight with Huon, we saw him go... Uh, from werewolf to serpent back to his own form and yeah, then finally yeah, fled right. the scene as, as a vampire bat. Uh, yeah. So he is a shapeshifter. Uh, yeah. And that's that's fascinating. Which is, which is interesting because, I mean, you'd think that as a Maya, he should be able to change his raiment anytime he wants. But well, right. Shouldn't I, they I guess all be able to just, do that? But Right. But I guess maybe this is just, maybe this is something that he's sunk, his, sunk some power into. And, yeah, um, yeah. and he's sort of kind of, I don't know, maybe gotten better at it or I, I don't know. But it, yeah. it definitely seems to be something he's known for more than the average I Exactly. Exactly. Uh, but for a while, at least, he was able to still appear, like they said, noble and beautiful. And that's important because mm-hmm. we will see that this chapter. Yep. And just like the other bad guys, he gets an opportunity to repent. And he, this time, repents. Yeah. Now, it's only out of fear. And that's why it doesn't stick. Right. Mm-hmm. This isn't out of genuine regret or remorse or, you know, or, or no, it's it's out of fear for the repercussions. Yeah, exactly. This yeah. is this is the kid who says, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, he's not really sorry. Right. He just doesn't want to get the punishment. Right. 
Um, well, and, and the proof is in the pudding because as soon as, you know, as soon as he's presented with, okay, well, here's what you have to do. You have to go back and you have to, you know, humble yourself before, before the Valar, you know, that's too much. Nope. Sorry. You know, they might make me do do something. They might, they might put me on probation and I don't want the terms and yeah. Right. Um, but you know, it's interesting because I remembered that Melkor once feigned even to himself at first that he wanted to do good. So, you know, here, here we kind of have a similar thing. He, Really repented at first, but only out of fear, and he goes right back to what he was mm-hmm. going to do. But uh, mm-hmm. but that brings me to something I wanted to bring in from letter one fifty three that talks about Sauron's origins, not not as Myron, but as Sauron. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is letter one fifty three, and he says that Tolkien says Sauron was of course not evil in origin; he was a spirit corrupted by the prime Dark Lord, the prime subcreative rebel Morgoth. He was given an opportunity of repentance when Morgoth was overcome but could not face the humiliation of recantation and suing for pardon. And so his temporary turn to good and benevolence ended in a greater relapse until he became the main representative of evil of later ages. Hmm. The yeah. use of that word relapse is really telling, you it know, is. It, it's very it, telling. It, almost, it almost suggests that, you know, evil doing is a sort of, it was a sort of addiction for him. And, you know, since mm-hmm. his heart wasn't in um, his own uh, reformation, he no. just he, yeah, he, just he backed off of it and he just kind of went deeper than he ever had gone before as as we end up seeing of course yeah. i mean um and i'm sure that there was a bit of pride there too i mean as we've oh, seen so many times you know there there's nothing like pride to make you double down on on whatever foolish thing you're doing <laughs> boy that's true and you know it's it's worth noting that the motivation for his repentance was external you know we look at the motivation for yeah. for repentance when somebody repents like say boromir uh and and that's not or external or Aule, yeah uh, you know, that, that that's coming from inside. It's coming from a genuine regret mm-hmm. for that decision. And, yeah. and that's what makes those, those choices redeemable. Yeah. You know, when you, when you go to that authority, Iluvatar, or in Boromir's case, even to Aragorn, and just say, look, I did the wrong thing. Uh, you know, please forgive me. That's genuine repentance. You're going to, you're going to get, you're going to see that done. So, uh, mm-hmm. Sauron, you know, what, what drove his repentance? Just fear, not in his own heart. So. Yeah. That's a good point. But, you know, we've talked a lot about to be genuine. Exactly. And we've talked a lot about repentance. In fact, there was a a pondering I did a while back talking about that specifically with with Boromir and uh, and Saruman. But um, the whole idea being that Tolkien always gave his characters opportunity for repentance. And and that's a theme that we've seen all through this work. And it's a theme we'll see again when we get into The Hobbit uh, and The Lord of the Rings. So definitely. Yeah. 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 Um, besides, I'm sure Melkor told him all about his time in Valid Jail, and he had no interest in finding <laughs> out. <laughs> I'm sure he had some stories. You know, it's like, <laughs> no, nah, bro, I just I lifted weights and shot hoops all day. <laughs> Cigarettes those... were expensive, though. <laughs> I had to trade like ten packs of cigarettes for like one Iron Crown, man. Like. And then all the jail crows came and took my bread. Oh, the jail crows make a reappearance. <laughs> well, well played, sir. Thank you. Thank that's you. That's phenomenal. Oh, I'm taking so that, it back. I'm taking it back. I'm, that's right. I'm owning jail crows. I'm owning jail crows. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we see, we're not going to read the next bit, but we do see uh, kind of a description of this new geography, right? Uh, you, this would be yeah. a time where I would recommend going to Loader Project again, and this time you don't have to clip, click on the map of Beleriand like we've told you to all the time. Yeah, Just this go is to actually maps of Middle Earth. finally the familiar map of Middle Earth yeah. that we, we grew up with in Lord of the Rings. Yeah. So you'll see you know, a, a gap in the arid Luin. Uh, you'll see the River Loon and the Gulf of Loon. 
uh, there's still a tiny little part of what was Beleriand, and it's that area west of the Arid Luan. Uh, mm-hmm. This region Lindon. was exactly Lindon, uh, yep. ruled by Gilgalad. Okay, Gilgalad, Gilgalad. I've heard it both ways. You say I always Potato, say Gil- I say Potato. I always say Gilgalad. Okay, see, I used to say Gilgalad, but I think you might be right, Gilgalad. Yeah, I think I'm so. sure you're probably right because I'm. After all, I'm the guy who says. <laughs> well, don't don't say it. Don't I even won't say it. Don't even curse this podcast by saying it. Oyo lo se. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Um, and then their chief son was going to the full. Book of Lost Tales and pull out Tyne Gwethil. There you go. Avoid saying the other word. There you go. I'm not going to say that word again. I'm just, <laughs> oh, folks, listen to the outcakes. That's all I can tell you. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so their chief city there was Mythlond um, at the Grey Havens. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Elrond was there with, uh, with Gilgalad, uh, which was mm-hmm. a nice place to hang out, apparently. Because remember, Gilgalad is still the high king of the Noldor yeah. at this point. Yeah, yeah, yeah he is. And uh, they do tell us, they remind us that the firstborn could still go on to uh, to Oresia and to Valinor via the straight road. We right. learn a little bit more about some of the other Eldar east of Ered Luin, the, 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 the Teleri survivors of Doriath and Osirian, established yeah. realms among the Sylvan Elves. Gee, this can anybody really cool. think of one of these realms? What might yeah, these realms be? I think we can. The Mirkwood Elves Mirkwood. is one of those. Mirkwood, yes. Yeah. Mirkwood yeah, for five hundred dollars, Alex. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Now it's not Thranduil yet. These would be Thranduil's ancestors. Um, right. I hate to tell you this, but you know, when we get to the Hobbit, we're still not going to mention Thranduil. We are going to use the name Elven King. The Elven King. That's all he is at that point. We're going to try to. At least we don't I, I even don't know. know if he has a son. I can't promise that I won't slip, but yeah, we're going to try <laughs> yeah. and refer to him as the Elven King. Well, it's I guess hard, if we man. ever... It's hard to have it. I know, it really is, because you do know who it is. I mean... Yeah, yeah. Uh, even if, if Tolkien at that point wasn't entirely certain. Right. Because uh, at that point, I mean, we'll get to this in The Hobbit, but at that point, I think there was a part of Tolkien that actually kind of saw him as directly descended from... Uh, from a uh, Thingol. From a Thingol, yeah. Yeah. So, so you you mentioned Thranduil, that this is Thranduil's ancestors. Do we know when Thranduil was born? I don't, uh, I don't know that. You I know, I know we can find that out. I think we do. We know, we know who his father was, and we know that his father died in... Um, uh, the Battle of the Last Alliance. Um, oh, okay. And that Thranduil, that's when he was able to take over the Woodland Realm. Um, I cannot remember his father's name. You'd think I would Son of Orifer. Orifer. I knew it started with an O, and I knew it wasn't Oradreth. I just couldn't remember who it was. One of those Oros. Yeah, okay. <laughs> um, but yeah, so that's... that's. Um, okay, so so Orifer was around at the War of Wrath, so it probably was him. So it was, this would have been Thranduil's father. Okay, Wow. Which means Thranduil might even have been alive. Mm, maybe. Uh, pretty incredible. Yeah. Very interesting. Anyway, we digress. We do. That's what we do. Uh, let's see. Eregion. I love this place. And it is Eregion, folks. Not Yes, not a region. Not a region. <laughs> this is not yeah. a region. It's Eregion. <laughs> yeah. Uh, tell well us a little said. bit about Eregion. Yeah, well, if, you, uh, if you've only read The Lord of the Rings before now, you might remember it better as Holland. Uh, okay. That's sort of a translation of the elvish name Eregion, which means Land of Holly. Um, it is the only lasting realm of the Noldor east of the Arid Luin. Um, that's right. And, uh, and I want to talk about it a little bit, especially because we had a request from a listener, uh, Ryan in Wisconsin, mm-hmm. who uh, managed to be lucky enough to get this email to us right before we recorded this. Oh, my um, goodness. Perfect timing. Yeah, it was perfect timing for him. So, uh, so Ryan, I'll do a little bit on Eregion for you. Um, he said that, you know, it's it's a fascinating 
concept, but there's just he can't really find much on it. And the truth is, mm. there's really not much written on it. No, um, no, there's a little bit in Unfinished Tales, which I think we'll we'll pull from a little bit. Um, unfortunately, it's in the history of Galadriel and Celeborn, which is always just a monster yeah. to to deal with because really there's so many so many so many contradictions and, and yeah, the contradictions right. in particular are troubling. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, we'll kind of talk about what we, we what we think we know with some certainty uh, mm-hmm. and at, at least what doesn't conflict with what's in Lord of the Rings. Right. Uh, and I'm looking at the appendices when I when I say Lord of the Rings. So so it was founded uh, or, or in 750 of the Second Age mm-hmm. uh, and possibly founded by Galadriel and Celeborn. Okay. This is one of those things that there's multiple yeah. versions of in that story. Um, and we don't really know where Tolkien ultimately landed on it. In the Lord of the Rings appendices, it only says that Celebrimbor was the Lord of Eregion. Okay. Um, and frankly, between you and me, I mean, the story would basically be that Galadriel and Celeborn founded Eregion stayed there for a while and then moved on to Lothlorien, which I don't know. Yeah. That just doesn't, that doesn't sound like them to me. The They're grass always seems it. greener on the other side of the mountains. <laughs> I don't <laughs> Could know. Be. Could be. I don't know. I just, you know, they stay in Lothlorien for so long. Yeah. I just don't see him. I don't see him getting the, you know, the rambling man lust, you know, no, like no, after I a few hundred either. years in Aragion. Um So I don't know. I, well, yeah, because that I awkward kinda, bit with Celebrimbor's all over now that Celebrimbor's a pincushion. Right. <laughs> well, spoilers, man. Come on. Um, oh, you're but right. I'm rate, so sorry. It was, it was clearly founded by you the You told Northern me Rome. I could spoil things. You said spoil I away. I, my my I, shackles I was talking. Released. I was talking about like, you know, a halfling takes the ring and throws it in the volcano. That's oh, what I was talking about. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't spoil that. We're not going to get there for like two and a half years. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> sorry, folks. So sorry. sorry. We, we digress. Go Me ahead. Too. Uh, we skip. We're not really digressing there. We're just kind of skipping ahead. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but anyway, it was so. It was clearly founded by Noldor, whichever Noldor it was, whether it was Galadriel right. or whether it was Celebrimbor or some. You know, mm-hmm. it probably would have Celebrimbor if not them, because he was he was a pretty senior elf. He was oh, the yeah. grandson of Feanor, Feanor right? We'll son of Curufin, right? Yeah. So at any rate, Noldor moving east across the Arid Luin into Eriador after you know the the fall of Valeriand. Yeah. Um, it also seems, I thought this was very interesting, that it looks like it was intentionally situated to be close to Khazad-dûm hmm. because it was, you know, the Noldor being, you know, disciples of Aule. They're really into, into you know, crafting and smithing and things like that. Um, it sounds like they set it up because they wanted to have commerce and, and you know, yep. and trade wisdom and lore with the with the dwarves. So uh, so that is why it is so close to Khazad-dûm. Yeah. Excuse well, me, Khazad-dûm. I said Khazad-dûm, but it's Khazad-dûm. Right. Yeah. And you know, this is just another example of how rare this sort of thing was. I mean, this the the fact that they did have this friendship really mm-hmm. tells us how very how that didn't exist anyplace else. Yeah. You know, that, that yeah. elves and dwarves didn't typically get along. This was notable because of its nature as an exception. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. It, it was definitely a, a rare occurrence that there would be this much friendship and um and this much trade between them. But it does make sense. It was guess, with the Noldor because of their their love oh, yeah, craft. If, if and anybody, their, yeah, I yeah. mean they were close. And Ale, of course. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, that's true too. Yeah, I mean, I, can you imagine the dwarves just wanting to learn about, you know, their creator yeah. from the Noldor who had actually who had seen him and had talked dinner to him. with him? You know, yeah. <laughs> but um, well, no but wonder yeah, so, they felt superior to the to the Nalgrim. You know, yeah. I sat down and had dinner with your maker. Yeah, you know, that's a good point. I've I've hung out with your guy. That's you know? a good point. And you're like many many generations, right? Uh, you know, down from the seven fathers who Ali created. That's really right. interesting. Um, while we're on that note, um, 
I think I might have talked about this one before. I can't mm-hmm. remember, but the word Hathadrond. I think we did. Yeah. I think we probably yeah. talked about it a little bit back when we were talking about the uh, when the dwarves kind of showed up. Yeah. Yeah. So maybe I've talked about it a little bit, um, but I'll repeat myself just really briefly because I just love this word, Hathadrond. That's uh, one of the names that the elves gave to Khazad-dûm mm-hmm. um, before they called it Moria. Um, so uh, Hathadrond actually is Cinderin for... Uh, basically dwarf excavation or dwarf hall. Um, the, the, it comes from the roots of Hadad, which means dwarf, and then Rond, which means roof or hall. Um, and so it really is basically just a translation of Khazad-dûm, which means, you know, like dwarf delving or dwarf dwarf cave, dwarf excavation, okay. something like that. Okay. Um, similar to, there's actually a word that Gandalf uses, I think, called uh, Dwarodelf in yeah. Fellowship of the Ring. Yeah, he does. Uh, same thing, dwarf delving. It's just a translation of that. Okay. Um, what I love about this, though, is this word Havad is, uh, according to the Silmarillion Appendix, is a rendering of Kazad into Sindarin sounds. Oh. So the dwarves oh, call themselves. Yeah, yeah. The dwarves call themselves Kazad. Sindarin hears that, or the Sindar hear that, and Sindarin doesn't have a Z. They right. don't have that aspirated K sound. Um, remember way back when we got um, yeah. an email from the Dwaro scholar on pronunciation of, of uh, yeah, Kazad. Yeah, of the Kazad, right. And um, and so basically they, they take that name and they try to pronounce it in their own sounds and they come up with something that sounds like Havad. So the Z turns into that sort of that DH softened the. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. And the aspirated K turns into an D-H. H. Because um, at least you still get that, that breath sound, that Havad. Right. Right. That's true. Yeah. That's yeah, fascinating. I know it's it's really cool and it's just a it's a really neat uh, illustration of the difference between the sounds of the languages. Yeah. Um, got something funny to say about it too which is of course um as i was researching it i, I was looking in uh, the war of the jewels which mm-hmm. is uh, history of middle, middle earth volume 11 um and tolkien had uh, a little bit to say about it here he said the name in the plural that the dwarves gave to themselves was kazad and this the sindar rendered as they might in terms of their own speech hathad hathadrim was the name which they continued to use in actual intercourse with the dwarves but among themselves they referred to the dwarves usually as the nalgrim the stunted folk <laughs> <laughs> so, so they're really nice to their faces and try to pronounce their own name for themselves. Oh, that is comic. That is really well. As, yeah, but as soon as they go back home, they're those like, well, the stunted, stunted folk. folk are gone. <laughs> so glad those stinky stunted folk are gone. <laughs> I know. I know. So it's like as you're talking about like, oh, yeah, they must have thought themselves superior. Well, there you go. There you go. They really are. Oh, oh those stunted man. folk. Crazy. Well, you know, we touched on Celebrimbor, and uh, there was something, uh, you know, you talked about unfinished tales. There was a line in there that I wanted to pull out, and it was the only place I could find a spot to insert it, was that he desired in his heart to rival the skill and fame of Feanor. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I saw that. Hopefully he didn't have anything else to do with Feanor. I know. I know. Yeah, definitely wanted to to follow in Granddaddy's footsteps. Yeah. Well, Certainly his ambition. I mean, I think yeah. I think we do see he doesn't have some of his lesser qualities. I, I'm no, I, I'm not I'm not going full Kylo Ren on this one, but <laughs> he definitely he probably had it in him somewhere if he if he hadn't made some better choices in life. Well, and you know he had the bad luck to be the son of perhaps the nastiest of Feanor's sons. So that's a good point. Yeah, you know, I mean he really had a rough upbringing dad and yeah. granddad were total jerks you know? yeah I mean, that's true curafin and and Keligorm really were the two worst yeah, weren't they yeah the, the seas were just awful 
I remember thinking Caranthier was really bad, and then like, no, actually, he, no, it's he's still pretty bad, but he's he gets a little bit better as time goes on. Those two, yeah, just, oh. yeah, terrible, terrible, terrible folk. Well, now that we've kind of talked a little bit about them, oh, we should mention real quick because we'll get this uh, word again later. I, I love this phrase that um, uh, in Aragion, the craftsmen were called the the Gwaith e Mirdine, the people of the jewels. Oh, yeah. That's a cool one. Yeah. Love that phrase, the Gwaith y Mirdine. So we're going to find out a little bit more about them later. But for now, the Dark Ages have come. Sean, oh, tell yes. us about the Dark all Ages. Right. I've got kind of a long passage here, so bear with me. It's all right. I think we can handle it. I think, um, well, all right. <laughs> I'll do my best here. <laughs> Elsewhere in Middle-earth, there was peace for many years. Yet the lands were, for the most part, savage and desolate, save only where the people of Beleriand came. Many elves dwelt there indeed, as they had dwelt through the countless years, wandering free in the wide lands far from the sea. But they were Avari, to whom the deeds of Beleriand were but a rumor, and Valinor only a distant name. And in the south and in the further east, men multiplied, and most of them turned to evil, for Sauron was at work. Seeing the desolation of the world, Sauron said in his heart that the Valar, having overthrown Morgoth, had again forgotten Middle-earth, and his pride grew apace. He looked with hatred on the Eldar, and he feared the men of Numenor who came back at whiles in their ships to the shores of Middle-earth. But for long he dissembled his mind and concealed the dark designs that he shaped in his heart. Men he found the easiest to sway of all the peoples of the earth, but long he sought to persuade the elves to his service, for he knew that the firstborn had the greater power. And he went far and wide among them, and his hue was still that of one both fair and wise. Only to Lindon he did not come. For Gilgalad and Elrond doubted him and his fair seeming. And though they knew not who in truth he was, they would not admit him to that land. But elsewhere, the elves received him gladly. And few among them hearkened to the messengers from Lindon bidding them beware. For Sauron took to himself the name of Anatar, the Lord of, the Lord of Gifts, and they had at first much profit from his friendship. Ah. Uh, so apparently, Gilgalad... Gilgalad now takes on the current role of um, of Melian. Of Melian. He's the Nobody new Melian. listens to Gilgalad. <laughs> to yep. Gilgalad. Yep. Oh man, come on, people! Don't well, you, you remember know, what happened with Morgoth in Valinor? Where you know, it was the same kind of thing. Profit from his friendship. Blah blah blah. Kill you. Blah. You blah. know, <laughs> you would think that they should have known better, but you know, when you think about it. How many of them had ever had any kind of interaction with Sauron? That's How true. many of them even knew who, who he was? Yeah, from that generation who were still alive. None. Yeah, I mean, None. the the only people we know of to have actually, you know, met Sauron and faced off against Sauron would have been, you know, uh, Finrod. Dead. He's gone. All yeah. of his all of his people that were with him, gone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you know, Baron and Luthien. And that's really yeah. it. Yeah. So so who's left to to I mean, to recognize him, if if even he's well, in a yeah, I'm not even that thinking he can he's, be recognized in. I'm not thinking of his, yeah, that's true. You're, you're just, just thinking of, like, it's, evil. it's too good to be true. It's it too good to be too true, good which true. is what Morgoth yeah. did in, in Valinor after he was yeah. Uh, unfettered. Yeah, but, you no, know. you you do have a, you do have a point there. I think it's worth noting that you know it's not like they recognize. This well, guy. It's no, not like it's they not knew like who said, he was. Oh well, it's Sauron, but he's being really oh Sauron's nice. yeah, exactly. It no. wasn't like oh Sauron, he's he's all better now. Sauron, <laughs> Sauron, he's our <laughs> man. <laughs> right, <laughs> he can't do it. Great, great. <laughs> for those of you, that's an Aladdin reference. For yes. those of you paying attention, I uh, love that. Robin Williams may have been at his finest when it comes to Absolutely. oh yeah. man he the the ad libs in that film are 
fantastic. Absolutely fantastic. Just, and there is nothing, by the way, quite like hearing your five-year-old wake up in the morning when you say to him, how do you feel this morning? He says, 10,000 years will give you such a crick in the neck. <laughs> such a crick in the neck. <laughs> That's awesome. Oh, it is hilarious. That. that kid, man. Um, okay, so we've got, you know, there's something I wanted to point out here. Sauron feared the Numenorians, looked with, so, so he looked with hatred on the Eldar and feared the men. Does that sound familiar? <laughs> Fear I, I feel hate. like I've heard some of these words before. Let's see. It's kind of like he's Sounds just like covering the, uh, Morgoth's greatest, greatest hits. hits. Yeah. <laughs> Morgoth's and, greatest hits. And his pride, too. Well, and his pride, too. His yeah. pride grew apace. Yeah. Unbelievable. I mean, there, there's so much of that phrase sounds like Melkor. Yeah. That he dissembled his mind and concealed the dark designs. Uh, well, that, you're not that, that was exactly that yeah. when he um, when he saw the Silmarils, if I remember correctly. Yeah, that's right. That he yeah. dissembled his, his purposes. Right. Yeah. Um, so he can easily sway the men. That's not surprising. Not surprising you know. at all. Uh, but the elves, he knows that's where the power is. Um, my and he goodness. and he and he goes straight for them. And it, you know, mm-hmm. and as you said, there's only a couple that that know that, that know better that can just kind of yeah. see through the lies. Yeah, um, Gilgalad and Elrond. And it's interesting that they send messages to the others, and the messages are ignored because these people are getting much profit from his friendship. The yeah. prophet seems to override wisdom in this case. Yeah, but yeah. that is the Noldor. Well, it's it's in many ways. it's it's hard to. I mean, it's hard to. Um, I don't know. I guess it's it's kind of hard to take a step back when things seem so good, seem so fair. Yeah, yeah. I mean, then again, you you'd think that uh, and uh, what is it? A servant of the enemy would uh, would look yes, fairer and feel foul. Feel foul. Yes, I love that line. Can't wait uh, till we get to that. Oh, yeah. It'll be a while. It will. That's fellowship. So that's going to be a bit. I think it's interesting, you know, the the, the lies that um, I haven't read it yet, but kind of no. getting into the, the next passage, the, you know, these lies that he uses to sway the elves. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he, he basically kind of tells the elves, you know, you listen to me and I can help you make Middle Earth as fair as Tolaresia or as fair as Valinor even. Um, it's an interesting comparison to, we just went through the Akalabeth. If you look at the lies mm-hmm. that he used to sway the Numenorians centuries later, basically yeah. live forever. Right. Um, it's, it's very revealing in regards to the primary temptations of the two races, isn't it? Oh yeah, exactly. Um, I mean, he knows their weak spots yes, and he goes exactly. right after them. He's, he's, he's certainly smart. I mean, he, you know, oh yes, he, he knows, he knows how to get to them. And, yeah. and I think it's also very interesting when you see the temptations that the rings of power end up having exactly. over the races, which we'll get to in a, in a few pages here. Yes, um, it real, they, they go, they go right to the heart of these chief temptations. Yeah. The, the, for men, the immortality and for elves, this, this kind of preservation or mm-hmm. restoration. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Exactly. Good stuff. He, he also has this line here about, um, that he says to the Avari about, you know, the, the, referring to the elven kindreds that are untaught you know they're wandering mm-hmm. here untaught as if they've been abandoned by the valar in some way but oh yeah remember way back when the avari were invited to go that's true you know nobody was left alone i mean the avari and the Teleri who chose to stay behind chose, chose. to stay behind that's true and the noldor who were there chose to go into exile so again he's he's using these lies that sort of mm, a little kind bit of, of flatter the them yeah, a little bit of the truth, but really kind of flattering them, oh, um, yeah. allowing them to see themselves in a superior light. Exactly. And, um, and that's what kind of gets in, gets under their skin. Boy, it sure does, especially the Noldor. Um, oh, yeah. In fact, I'm going to go ahead and read the next little paragraph. I think that'll tell us more about that. All right. It was in Eregion that the counsels of Sauron were most gladly received. 
for in that land the Noldor desired ever to increase the skill and subtlety of their works. Moreover, they were not at peace in their hearts, since they had refused to return into the West, and they desired both to stay in Middle-earth, which indeed they loved, and yet to enjoy the bliss of those that had departed. Therefore they hearkened to Sauron, and they learned of him many things, for his knowledge was great. In those days the smith of Ostin Evil surpassed all that they had contrived before, and they took thought, and they made rings of power. But Sauron guided their labors, and he was aware of all that they did, for his desire was to set a bond upon the elves and to bring them under his vigilance. Mm. Man, um, you know, yeah. you know, one of the things that just jumped out of me, uh, jumped out at me this is that they desired both to stay in Middle yep, Earth that's <laughs> and also to enjoy the bliss of those that had departed. Yep. They want it both ways. Yeah, and just like the men in in Akalabeth last chapter. Just like the men in Akalabeth, they, they want to have their, you know. Yeah, they, I, I hate I hate this cliche, but they wanted to have their cake and eat it too. Yeah, absolutely. Um, they wanted to have everything, and it's like you, no, <laughs> I want you it can't. all, and I want it now. Ooh, very well done. <laughs> it ain't much I'm asking if you want the truth. Yeah. <laughs> oh, goodness, folks. Queen right. reference right there. For... Queen reference. That's our first one in a few episodes. Um, I think we referenced Two Wants to Live Forever, actually, just a couple episodes ago, probably. In did the first we? Half okay. Of the that, yeah. We probably did. That, that would way. be the right time to do that it. That sounds like us. Yeah. Yeah, we probably should have included something about, you know, a severed head was found in the... <laughs> <laughs> from the beginning of Highlander. <laughs> I can't remember the exact line. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, that was phenomenal. Yeah. Oh, sorry. It's been we... way too long since I've seen that movie. Well, Man, I don't want to digress. Ages but I am going to go watch that movie soon. Yeah. that. Don't watch any of the others. Don't. Just don't. I think save, I made it. Save yourselves. The, the, the second one, one. Yeah. The second one, I think I watched once and I was like, nope, I'm not watching anymore after this. <laughs> Yeah, I, I really enjoyed the first one, but uh, man, Fantastic. that was, you know, I probably haven't seen it in 25 years. Clancy Brown, the Kurgan. Oh, the man. Kurgan. That it dude. also left a man's decapitated body lying on the floor next to his own severed head. <laughs> did you look it up while we're talking? That's yes, I did. <laughs> oh. Alan's Google skills have, have finally reached next level. Yeah, well, you know. Google and talk at the same time. Man, I, I just remember he's driving in some, uh, was it a Corvette or a Camaro or something? He's like cruising on that bridge. And yeah, it's uh, something like that. Uh, yeah, good stuff, man. Man. It's been so long since I've seen that. So long. I mean, I've been married for, it'll be 25 years in September, and I haven't seen it since I've been married. That tells you what? something. What? Really? Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. She's not, that's not the kind of thing that she's a fan of. My wife and I watched it uh, a few years ago, probably. Probably less than 10 years ago. Yeah. But yeah. probably maybe five years ago. Maybe longer than that. <laughs> Too long. Too long. Need more McLeod in my life. Oh, anyway. More Connor McLeod of the Clan McLeod. Mm -hmm. Love that yep. stuff. Good stuff. All right. Well, <laughs> since nobody's going to be lopping <laughs> Sauron's head off, unfortunately, in this episode. Nope. Uh, we he'll, should get, probably... he'll get something cut off before we're done. Yes, but not the head. Just, no. Yes. Uh, let's see. So, um, you know, that now that I'm trying to get back on track, because somebody's got to reel us in, you know, otherwise Please we're going to sit here and talk about Highlander and then it's going to be Sean Connery and then it's going to, we're going to be in talking about James Bond after that. And it's just going to be, it's going to all go 
right downhill. Are, are you sure you want to be reeled back in or are you really saying? No, I really am saying. We or need are you to really saying, back in. don't stop me now? <laughs> it's a plea for help, Sean. It's a plea for help. Help me. Are you sure? No. Um, this this passage about Ostenethil and the Smiths uh, and the fact that they uh, learned of him for his knowledge was great. It, it made me pull up something from letter 153, which I'd cited earlier. This is just later in the letter. He's talking okay. about the Noldor and he says that the particular branch of the High Elves concerned, the Noldor or lore masters, were always on the side of science and technology, as we should call it. Mm. They wanted to have the knowledge that Sauron genuinely had. And those of Eregion refused the warnings of Gilgalad and Elrond. The particular desire of the Eregion elves, an allegory, if you like, of a love of machinery and technical devices, is also symbolized by their special friendship with the dwarves of Moria. Hmm, interesting. Yeah, isn't so, it? So they were so they were more, probably even more science and technology oriented than most of the Noldor. The Noldor yeah. are always about craft, they're always about um you know, um, artifice, subcreation, but exactly. But, but, but the, the, the elves of Eregion are really about you know scientific and technological progress. A love of machinery and technical mm. devices. I mean, that, we yeah. know how how Tolkien felt about machine. I mean, you know, that's yeah, that's true. We talked about true. machine and fall and mortality yeah. being the three main themes. Being the three main themes. Yeah. yeah. So that's, Boy, that's a, big, a good point. Mm -hmm. That's a good point, and we see how well nowhere is that more. Um, clear than in like the Lord of the Rings where yeah, we see, yeah. you know, the machine is, um, is an instrument of, of, um, you know, corruption yeah. and, and, and evil. That very clear. Yeah. I mean, and I wouldn't say it's, it's always outright evil, but I think it is, is always a, it's an easy path to temptation. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Um, interesting. They mentioned the special friendship because of mm -hmm. course, you know what that makes me think of. Ah, uh, yes. Uh, <laughs> there's, uh, the doors of Holland. That's right. The Western door into Moria going back to fellowship of the ring. Um, Remember the password, the Sindarin word for friend was, was mm -hmm. Melon. Um, and if you, if you recall, so here's a little bit of context for folks who haven't read this before. Uh, that door, actually, it was, if you recall, the inscription said that the door was made by the dwarf named Narvi, but, uh, but that Celebrimbor oh, yeah. actually wrote the inscription. He actually wrote the Athildean letters that only shone in the moonlight. That, mm. Those were actually written by Celebrimbor. And he wrote um, that Sindarin phrase that I think I'm about to butcher here, which is... Im Narvi Heinekant, Celebrimbor Oregion Tethanti Thiuhin. Actually, I think you did pretty well. Well, thank you. Thank you very much. I, I practiced that one. in particular was one that I was like, wow, that's going to throw me for a loop. Better you than me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I practiced it in the mirror a couple of times. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I, 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 Narvi, made these doors. Celebrimbor of Holland, Celebrimbor of Oregion drew these signs. My goodness. Um, so, yeah, that's on uh, page 298 yep. of, uh, of our edition of Fellowship of the Ring, where, you know, of course, the beautiful door that everybody knows. So, uh, yeah, that's that's these elves that we're talking about. My goodness. But now we get the rings, don't we? I mean, oh, you know, yeah. we, this is this is moving fast now. So let's go ahead and pick up the next paragraph, because now we get to the heart of this section of the story. Yep. Now the elves made many rings, but secretly Sauron made one ring to rule all the others. And their power was bound up with it, to be subject wholly to it, and to last only so long as it too should last. And much of the strength and will of Sauron passed into that one ring, for the power of the elven rings was very great, and that which should govern them must be a thing of surpassing potency. Mm. And Sauron forged it in the mountain of fire in the land of shadow. And while he wore the one ring, he could perceive all the things that were done by means of the lesser rings. 
and he could see and govern the very thoughts of those that wore them. Now that's a power. That is a power. Governing the thoughts. But governing the very thoughts. Oh. Seeing their thoughts is big enough. I mean, you know, despite, you know, yeah. there's there's definitely some some elvish telepathy that takes place throughout sure. um, some of the deeper writings in Middle Earth. And we see right. a little bit of it in, in some of the books. Even at the end um, of Return of the King when. Uh, that's true. Yeah. When the, the, again, the remains uh, of the White Council exactly. are kind of are communicating. Communicating in silence. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but that's always voluntary. It, it, yeah. it, it only and we'll talk about that a little bit later with the Palantiri, won't that's we? That's true. too. Um, yeah. That, you know, you you can let somebody in, you can communicate with somebody with your mind, but they can't break into your mind. No, no. Um, unless you're here, Sauron wearing the one unless ring. Unless you're Sauron wearing the one ring. Here you can actually see into your mind and actually govern the thoughts. This is a whole lot thoughts. better than being invisible. <laughs> I mean, this is, that's a pretty <laughs> well, cool trick yeah. if you can do it. That's a parter trick. But actually that's governing a, the very thoughts of those that wear them, making them your puppets. That's a very good point. And think about how the ring grants power according to, you know, the... The stature of those that wear it. Exactly. You know, That's true hobbits, too. hobbits turn invisible. They're, they're, they're small people. They have small, yeah. um, you know, small ambitions. Sauron has very great ambitions. And so he has very great, horrible power. Mm-hmm. You know, part of this passage that you read reminded me of this uh, text from the shadow of the past, which again, we'll get to in a year or two. Um, Gandalf's telling Frodo that he only needs the one for he made that ring himself. It is his. Mm-hmm. And he let a great part of his own former power pass into it so that he could rule all the others. If he recovers it, then he will command them all again, wherever they be, even the three. And all that has been wrought with them will be laid bare, and he will be stronger than ever. Mm. So we do see a reminder of that strength and the fact that, you know, he, he poured all this strength into this one. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that makes sense because the elven rings were powerful, so he had to make something that was He had more to make powerful. something more powerful to control them. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, you can't make a, a a leash for a big dog out of dental floss. You know, I mean, it's it's got to be surpassing potency. There's a visual oh, okay. right there. Yeah. Wow, um, that's awesome. But uh, so yeah, now let's go ahead and get to the three. We're going to keep moving because I don't want us yeah. to to end up at you know three and a half hours by the end of this episode. <laughs> Talking about stuff that people that just kind of already know. Yeah, exactly. This is this may seem familiar to you. <laughs> yeah. All right. Good. <sighs> but the elves were not so lightly to be caught. As soon as Sauron set the one ring upon his finger, they were aware of him, and they knew him and perceived that he would be master of them and of all that they wrought, that in anger and fear they took off their rings. But he, finding that he was betrayed and that the elves were not deceived, was filled with wrath, and he came against them with open war, demanding that all the rings should be delivered to him since the elven smiths could not have attained to their making without his lore and counsel. But the elves fled from him, and three of their rings they saved and bore them away and hid them. Now these were the three that had last been made, and they possessed the greatest powers, Narya, Nenya, and Vilya, they were named, the rings of fire and of water and of air, set with ruby and adamant and sapphire. And of all the elven rings, Sauron most desired to possess them, For those who had them in their keeping could ward off the decays of time and postpone the weariness of the world. But Sauron could not discover them, for they were given into the hands of the wise who concealed them and never again used them openly while Sauron kept the ruling ring. Therefore the three remained unsullied, for they were forged by Celebrimbor alone, and the hand of Sauron had never touched them. Yet they also were subject to the one." So they were unsullied, but they were still subject to that power. Mm-hmm. 
because of course he was he made he made the one ring more powerful uh, right yeah more powerful yeah so i think it's i, I think it's well is this is this a point where we want to kind of break down like the i think the characteristics we, have to. Of, of we the really rings? have to yeah. because you know we get a ton of rings but, yeah. you know, we understand there's a lot of elven rings. I mean, Sauron, this says, of all the elven rings, Sauron most desire to possess them. So there are others there. Um, well, and so I was, I'm unclear on that passage, whether he's just saying that basically, I mean, okay, there, we know of 20 rings from the ring verse in the book, right? Um, well, yeah. So there's 19 plus the one. Were there more than those 19 at one point? Or when they say there were many rings, is it just those 19? Because hmm. they weren't, it, it's not like they were made... You know, the, Celebrimbor did not make three for elves and seven for dwarves and no, nine for men. No, no, he no. just made nineteen. He just rings. made all those rings, right? Um, and it just but he happened made to the be three the three greatest were the last. The ones. last three were the most powerful, and those are the ones that ended up going to the elves. But right. I'm just I'm confused on whether there were more than nineteen or were more than twenty rings at one well, point, or I whether I believe at one point Gandalf is talking about lesser rings and then rings of power. So I think there may so only be the twenty rings of power. Okay. Right. I mean that that may be the case, but uh, there's a, a passage where he's talking about um, uh, the 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 fact that the the rings of power are really really strong. Even the even the lesser rings would be dangerous. Um, I'm I, I'm trying to remember the exact um, exact phrase. I, I, but, yeah, I can I can't remember the exact phrase, but I can kind of remember. Uh, here you sort go. Of In a region long ago, many elven rings were made, magic rings as you call them. And they were, of course, of various kinds, some more potent and some less. The lesser rings were only essays in the craft before it was full grown. And to the elven smiths, they were but trifles, yet still, to my mind, dangerous for mortals. But the great rings, the rings of power, they were perilous. Okay. So I think that's, you know, when we're talking about the rings so of power, okay. we're talking gotcha. about 20. Gotcha. Yep. Yeah. Okay. That that makes sense. Yeah. And I I felt like there were more rings. Yeah. Uh, and I'm probably just thinking of that passage. That that passage is buried somewhere deep in my mind, though I can't oh, yeah. I I mean, remember. Because, because but, that passage you probably read 18,000 yeah, times. Yeah, exactly, it's right. Fellowship of the Ring um, in one of the best chapters, too. Right. But here I'm sitting here trying to, as I'm, as I'm preparing for this discussion, I'm thinking, I'm trying to find, you know, anything concrete that says how many, or yeah. if there were more than 20 rings. And so I think that's all it is. So the rings yeah. of power were the 20 that we get in the verse. Right. The three, the seven, the nine, the one. and But again... They were not made to be delivered to specific that's races. That's correct, and that's really important to remember. Nineteen rings of power, and then yeah, because the movie makes it seem like that's how they were made. That's a good point, yeah, because the way it's it's kind of shown and in the prologue, the, the visual, yeah. right? Exactly. I mean, yeah. even though even though uh, um, Galadriel is just reading the words of the the inscription, really, you know, the, or not the inscription, but the the kind of the history about yeah about the rings, it does seem to kind of convey this idea that they were made for but they weren't. Yeah, they were yeah. just made. Right. So, Good. Good um, clarification. They could ward off the decays of time, these three. Uh, that, mm -hmm. you had a quote on that, that, again, it's probably one of my favorites from the letters, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, well, Tolkien speaks in one of the letters, and I, I think it's letter 181. Mm -hmm. um, and he speaks to the elvish desire to arrest change and to keep things always fresh and fair. Um, he talks about the fact that the elves are, are kind of like a person who would hate a very long book still going on and wish to settle down in a favorite chapter. Yeah. Man, um, I love that turn of phrase, isn't it? Yeah, it's such a great turn of phrase. And yeah, it's this, it's this desire to just kind of keep things the way they always were. You know, remember right. the elves are going to be alive for as long as art is alive and they're going to gradually regret the past and they're going to want to, you know, 
which is why Sauron tempts them with, with getting things exactly. back to, to Valinor, or at least exactly. to uh, Eresea, uh, Eresea. Exactly. Right. Um, and and so this, is, this ends up being the power of the rings. Yeah. Exactly. You know, I, I mentioned earlier that the the line was that they were the rings were unsullied. Um, mm-hmm. Tolkien actually mentions that in that letter. He specifically says that the rings, these three rings, were unsullied because this object, this desire to preserve, was in a limited way good, and because right, the elves yeah. didn't desire to dominate other wills. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, at least it's not as yeah. bad as right, but you know, it's still it's still a problem. Uh, right. and in this case, it's just a weakness, uh, and that you know. Sauron's that's a good way to capitalize. That's a good on way it. of putting it. It's it's yeah. It's more a weakness than it is like a corruption, a moral yeah, corruption. Exactly. Um, it's, it's less a flaw and more of a weakness. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Very cool. So, uh, so yeah. So apparently, this is when when Sauron puts on the one. This must be when they finally realize that uh, Anatar was Sauron. That must yeah. be the moment when must they realized, been. oh man, we have been had. Yeah. Um, boy. Man, can you imagine? Can you oh, imagine that the feeling? feeling of betrayal and like, what oh, did man. I do? Yeah. You know? Uh, yeah. Man, just instant regret. Uh, and we'll get more of that when we dive into some of the Unfinished Tales bits. But uh, first, I think, let's see, what do we have here? Let's see. Mm-hmm. Actually, I guess yeah. that is we are going to kind of start looking at that, aren't we? Yeah, because uh, because Sauron is going to go yeah. To we war want to do that before we get into the dwarves for the rings. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. So there's a there's kind of an escalation of force here. I see. Yeah, there is. In Sauron, yeah, he starts out seducing them, persuading them. Mm-hmm. Um, he puts on the ring and he's trying to dominate their wills. And then you know when all else fails, just brute force. Just you know, uh, yeah. Bring the orcs about just, and let's <laughs> right war. and make war make exactly. war on Aragion and and Aragion is laid waste. Yeah, uh, we only get that, right? We get Aregion mm-hmm. was laid waste, Celebrimbor slain, the doors of Moria were shut. Uh, yeah, we don't we don't get the brutal, ugly story of how Celebrimbor was oh, slain. Oh, <laughs> my goodness, no, we don't. Uh, it's it's pretty bad. Um, yeah. You know, we do get—I'm uh, going to kind of bring in some things from Unfinished Tales. Uh, mm-hmm. This is uh, also from the history of Galadriel and Celeborn, but this particular portion doesn't have multiple versions or— or any you know conflict. So this is uh, yeah, so this, this is, is pretty consistent. This is pretty clear. Yeah, yeah. This really does seem to be exactly what happened. Uh, it's just that we get more detail in that version of the story. Mm-hmm. First, we get that uh, the narrative tells us that they should have destroyed the three, but that they failed to find the strength. Now, oh yeah, and yeah. and we're talking about some of the the greatest of the elves at this point. Galadriel's oh, yeah. there. Celebrimbor. Um, no, Celebrimbor's not there yet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He'd gone. Yeah, he, in yeah. fact, he was. He'd take. Yeah, he'd gone. Yeah. Because yeah. then he went back, and well, he probably shouldn't have gone back. Right. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, we've got you know, Kirdan, Gilgalad. I mean, these are like the yeah. you know the elite. Aren't this they? is the top of the top, you know. And they just they failed to find the strength to destroy them. So Galadriel mm-hmm. says they got to hide them, disperse, never use them. She gets Nenya at that point, mm-hmm. and at that time, Narya and Vilya go to Lindon uh, to Gilgalad, mm-hmm. who we know later on gives Narya the that's the one uh, the ruby one, the fire one, right. He gives that one to Círdan, who then later gives it to Gandalf when he shows up. Right. Uh, right. Vilya's ultimate destination actually is Elrond. So just and Gil- and Gilgalad actually wore that one himself for a while he before he gave it to Elrond. Before he gave yeah. it to Elrond, that's correct. Yeah. So Sauron attacks. Um, Gilgalad sends a force under Elrond. Celebrimbor. Well, let's just read what happens here. <laughs> Please at, do. At last, the attackers broke into a region with ruin and devastation and captured the chief object of Sauron's assault, the house of the Myrdain. Where were their smithies and their treasures? Celebrimbor, desperate, 
himself withstood Sauron on the steps of the great door of the Myrdine, but he was grappled and taken captive, and the house was ransacked. There Sauron took the nine rings and other lesser works of the Myrdine, but the seven and the three he could not find. Then Celebrimbor was put to torment, and Sauron learned from him where the seven were bestowed. This Celebrimbor revealed, because neither the seven nor the nine did he value as he valued the three. The seven and the nine were made with Sauron's aid, whereas the three were made by Celebrimbor alone with a different power and purpose. Uh, Man. Go on. <laughs> uh, probably just to talk about Celebrimbor's fate. Yeah, yeah let's, let's just be clear yeah. about what happens to the poor guy. Hold on, let me... Uh, I've got me, it right here. Do you? Okay, why don't you go yeah. ahead and share the yeah, pleasant and, bits. In black anger, he turned back to battle. This is Sauron. Mm-hmm. And bearing as a banner, Celebrimbor's body hung upon a pole, oh. shot through with orc arrows. Oh. He turned upon the forces of Elrond. Yeah. You know, wow. it, it's one thing to, like... <laughs> take the flag of your opponent and, you know, burn the flag or stomp on it in the mud, you know, like they did with, with Fingon where, you know, it was yeah. mixed with the mire of his blood. It's another yeah. thing to take the body of your opponent riddled with holes yeah. and attach yeah. it to the banner of your flagpole. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, that's, that is just that's, nasty. That's gruesome. I mean, that is just gruesome. That's right up there. Yeah. 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 This is mm. bad stuff. Um, bad, Sauron. Bad. <laughs> <laughs> Just in yeah. case you forgot whether he's good or bad, those yeah. those people that keep calling him yeah. Myron and talking about how good he is. <laughs> With his pretty red hair. I, I can't remember what... Yeah, I'll digress. No yeah, right. don't, let's not go there. <laughs> there is a thing about red hair. I can't remember where it comes from, though. I Where? No, I don't remember. I, I, yeah, there's no I, evidence I, for that. No, I don't think there's any evidence for it. <sighs> yeah, it's an interesting world. Um, <laughs> yep. So, uh, so, but um, yeah, so well, let's see what happened. Uh, well, he, Elrond would have lost, wouldn't he? Yeah, well, Elrond, um, yeah, Elrond would have lost. Uh, but then who showed up? Dum, ba, bum. Durin sent out a force of dwarves from yep. Khazad Doom. Yep. Yeah. They, and elves of Lorinand, which is, uh, which is what, what would right. become Lothlorien, yeah. Right. And that makes sense. They would travel through Moria to get there. True. Uh, yeah. So they, you know, basically put the pincher move on Sauron's forces. And then uh, mm-hmm. when Sauron turned on the dwarves, they turn around, go back into Moria and close the doors and he can't get in. Yeah. So uh, Elrond escapes. Um, it's at this time that he founds uh, Imladris. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Uh, Numenorians arrive as well. Uh, they help defend the Grey Havens uh, just in time yeah. to, uh, uh, to, to keep them from getting wiped out by Sauron's forces. Um, and they also had a pincher move. They had also landed, some other men had landed to the south. And so yep. they came up and caught them in the vice uh, and pretty much took out the rest of what was left of Sauron's forces, who, uh, with nothing more than a bodyguard, had to retreat to Mordor. And he was mad mm. at Numenor. Boy, was he mad. So yeah. keep that in mind. Because remember, this is before. This is all before the Akalabath, right? Yeah, so, yeah. So this this is probably the, the event that, Sort of sowed the seeds of mm-hmm. his his wanting to to get vengeance on the Numenorians. Absolutely, yeah. it is. Uh, yeah. You know, and we learn that. But yeah. But in the meantime, Celebrimbor, you know, did give up some information under torture, like where the seven could be found. Yep. Uh, so he gets the seven. What happens then? All right. Knows. Sauron takes them, and seven rings he gave to the dwarves, but to men he gave nine. For men proved in this matter, as in others, the readiest to his will. And all those rings that he governed he perverted, 
the more easily since he had a part in their making. And they were accursed, and they betrayed in the end all those that used them. The dwarves indeed proved tough and hard to tame. They ill endure the domination of others, and the thoughts of their hearts are hard to fathom, nor can they be turned to shadows. They used their rings only for the getting of wealth, but wrath and an overmastering greed of gold were kindled in their hearts, of which evil enough after came to the prophet of Sauron. It is said that the foundation of each of the seven hordes of the dwarf kings of old was a golden ring, but all those hordes long ago were plundered, and the dragons devoured them. And of the seven rings, some were consumed in fire, and some Sauron recovered. And we learn exactly how many, um, I believe, at the Council of Elrond. I think we learned that four... Four, was it four had been lost or four had been recovered? I know. Yeah. Now I don't remember. Yeah, yeah. It was either four had been recovered and three lost or yeah. three recovered and four lost. Um, yeah. But it's interesting. They weren't made for the dwarves. It's just right. or for the men. They were, yeah. oh, I've got 16 rings here. I, what should I do? Right. And I think that's interesting because, um, you know, it's because of the fact that there's seven for the dwarves. I think we tend to assume that those seven rings were given to the seven dwarf kings. Mm-hmm. Um, or the leader. Yeah, each of the clans, right. You know, the, the leaders of the clans. Yeah, not, you know, whoever was the leader of each of those seven king uh, of each of those seven clans. We're not really sure about that. It is said that the foundation of each of their seven hordes was a golden mm-hmm. ring, but but we don't know for sure that it no. was, you know, these exactly. It's kind of squishy. It um, is. I but, just, you know, we, we think, tend to like those things when it says it is said. I, we tend to believe those. Yeah, certainly. Yeah. But I think it could have also just as easily been symbolic. You know, seven yeah. is a number of significance for the dwarves, just the way three is a number of significance for the elves. But True. you know, the you know the three elven right, rings the were not given. The, yeah. right. Exactly. They were. It's not like he gave one elven ring to Avanya, one to Anoldo, and one to, <laughs> to a, Avanya. You know, good a, luck a with that. I know. OMG, Manway, I don't want your ring. <laughs> Get away from me with that ring. Yeah. Do you have a bracelet though? <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Oh man. Sorry. Um, the, by the, the way, the light it, coming down off the mountain just shines off this bracelet. <laughs> We're not going to say what the name it's of the mountain is. It's got this really but... cool blue glow. Yeah. <laughs> from Manway's clothing. Yeah. Um, I, I, I did want to just point out, by the way, that the seven rings for the dwarves and the nine men, or the nine rings for the men, those are the seven and the nine, not seven of nine from Star Trek. I just <laughs> want to make sure we get that this is not Jerry Ryan we're talking about yes, in a skin yes. suit. Yeah. Um, no. Yeah. Just be real clear. Yes. <laughs> wanted to throw that out there because everybody needs an image of Jerry Ryan in a skin suit in their mind. Jer- Jerry Ryan was not Jerry Ryan was not a gift of Sauron to men. <laughs> she might have been. <laughs> oh man. With all We're the corrupting effects thereof, but um, <laughs> so and I did find it's interesting that the elves rings, you know, we talked earlier about the the possession of the elven rings that could keep off the the decay of time. You know, we talked about, again, Sauron finding the weakness of each of the races. Mm-hmm. These go directly to the weakness of the dwarves, which is oh, greed. Oh, yeah. Material wealth. Greed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 It's, it's, it's just like it's as if uh, Morden from Babylon 5 came right up to him and said, what do you want? Oh, man. <laughs> the go- I remember that live- one? I do. I was just about to show you that I remembered it. I'd like to live just long enough to to be there when they cut off your head and stick it on a pike <laughs> as a warning to the next 10 generations that some favors come with too high a price. I would look up at your <laughs> lifeless eyes and wave like this. You're seeing me wave. This isn't on video. <laughs> Can you that and your associates arrange this for me, Mr. Morgan? <laughs> that would work so much better in video with you Wouldn't with it with me your waving? hair. 
Centauri well, please hair. don't give me Veer hair. <laughs> I mean, if I'm going to have to have Centauri hair, can I at least have Londo hair? Or Rifa. Rifa. Lord Rifa. I liked his hair better. <laughs> That's too funny. I, I know you had that quote prepared. I did. Because, <laughs> I cannot lie. Because, because I had it too. <laughs> I had it here too. <laughs> So, oh, that's phenomenal. We're well, right, you know, there, I, I, right there with each other. Yeah, I, it's I, I, that's such a memorable line from the show. Oh, yeah. And, yeah. and I really didn't have to like do a lot of, I, I pretty much had remembered it off the top you, of my head. Yeah, of course. Yeah, exactly. Uh, totally but I had to make sure I got it right. I couldn't remember if it was just the next generation or the next 10 generations. <laughs> right. <laughs> you could be forgiven for, you know, maybe forgetting some yeah. of those details. Yeah, but, it has been you know, a while, very sadly. Well done. I do love that very show. Very well done. Boy, I missed that. Wait. Way, way too, too long, long. For me. We needed a Bab Five reference, and yeah, it's been way too long since I've watched the show. Yeah, folks, Kids, maybe man. after Get we maybe after we finish our Lord of the Rings uh, and Unfinished Tales in 2022, maybe we'll do a Bab Five podcast. Ooh, <laughs> that's a good idea. We'll be very old then. Yes, we will. But uh, yeah, that could be fun. Yes, we will. Anyway, now yeah. we really digress. <laughs> yeah. Now I've tempted you with some tremendous thing. Now I'm like, hmm, Ooh, that how would can we make fun. this happen? <laughs> yeah, like we have time. <laughs> we want to go weekly with this, and, right? And now we want to. Yeah, right, yeah. Oh, uh, no. Meanwhile, meanwhile, there's about nine people out there listening saying, yeah, I would love to hear these guys talk about Babylon 5. Oh, yeah, the exactly. It's <laughs> like, no, thank you. No, thank you. <laughs> Bab what? Bab what? what? <laughs> yep. Anyway, what do we got? What's his name from Big Bang Theory? He doesn't want to hear anything about Babylon 5. <laughs> I never understood his dislike for it. Uh, Leonard, no. Yeah, Sheldon. I've Leonard. never, I've never Sheldon. seen that show. I've Sheldon Cooper. Show. Sheldon Cooper, for some reason, just has, oh. a, has, a, has it out for Babylon 5. There's a, uh, have you ever seen the show Spaced, the English show, Simon Pegg? I have not, but Simon Pegg certainly Frost, is Pegg, a funny right? man. Yeah, we were just talking about Simon Pegg recently, weren't we? I think um, we were. Yeah, there's a uh, there's a show he did called Spaced in the late '90s, and there's a Babylon Five reference in one episode of that. I I can't say it here because this is a family podcast. But it, well, yeah, it's, it's, it's it was, a Simon Pegg show. You know, it's not clean. Right, right. It was a it was not a friendly comment about Babylon Five. Let's just no. put it that way. Well, anybody who watched the first season could be could be forgiven for making un, mm. unkind comments about the show. <laughs> Very true. Very true. But so. man, that second season it picks oh, up and it's it sure oh. doesn't. Never lets go after that. No, no. But yeah, I mean, we you know, we do, we really do. But it's, it really is a lot like that, you know. I mean, in, in the show, for those of you who never watched Bab Five, Morden represents this force um, that is able to really make things happen. Whatever you mm-hmm. want to have happen, they can make it happen. But boy, there is a price, and the price is oh, yeah. extraordinarily high. And here, that's the same thing. That's what happens with the yeah. dwarves, and it's what we're about to see with men. Who it's the same thing. It's as though Morden has gone to them and say, "What do you want?" Because right. this is what they get. I'm going to read that next paragraph. Men proved easier to ensnare. Those who used the nine rings became mighty in their day, kings, sorcerers, and warriors of old. They obtained glory and great wealth, yet it turned to their undoing. They had, as it seemed, unending life, yet life became unendurable to them. They could walk, if they would, unseen by all eyes in this world beneath the sun, and they could see things in worlds invisible to mortal men, but too often they beheld only the phantoms and delusions of Sauron. And one by one, sooner or later, according to their native strength and to the good or evil of their wills in the beginning, 
they fell under the thraldom of the ring that they bore and under the domination of the one which was Sauron's. And they became forever invisible, save to him that wore the ruling ring, and they entered into the realm of shadows. The Nazgul were they, the ring wraiths, the enemy's most terrible servants. Darkness went with them, and they cried with the voices of death. Hmm. Don't yeah. invite one to your Christmas party. Um, <laughs> you know? No, do not. Do not. I, I, I just. Yeah. They'll just. Yeah. They'll mess up the place. They, they really um, will. They, you know, this is the first time that we see a reference to any kind Though of invisibility. Camus wearing, wearing a lampshade was pretty funny. It, that, that was. That's true. <laughs> you have to admit. No. Um, this is what we do at all the parties back east. It, it really. <laughs> I thought it was interesting. I don't think I'd caught this until this read through that when they were in that shadow world, they beheld the phantoms and delusions of Sauron. Remember mm. when he snared Gorlam the unhappy? It was a phantom. Oh, yeah. Right? Of his wife, his late mm-hmm. wife. Um, oh, that's interesting. That's yeah. what Sauron can do. You know, he had, yeah. he's a master of phantoms. Yeah. He's an illusionist, mm-hmm. a shapeshifter and an illusionist, yeah. Yeah, really amazing. Wow, very interesting. Yeah, no, I, I was just noticing this is the first time we see any kind of invisibility. Yes, um, yes. You know, and, of course, we know this from, from Lord of oh, the Rings of that the Nazgul have this. But um, but I, I just I think it's interesting we talked about how, you know, hobbits tend to turn invisible when they put on the ruling ring. Um, and here it seems, you know, men were the only ones to turn invisible when they put on their rings of power as well. I wonder if it's because yeah. of the kinship of hobbits and men. I don't know. That's an interesting point because certainly the elves don't turn invisible when they put on their three. Um, right. And there's no evidence that the dwarves do. Right. Um, yeah. yeah interesting. Well, and that's and the dwarves couldn't because they couldn't be turned to shadows. So oh, that's true. That yeah, there you go. So, yeah, so really it's just yeah. a mannish thing. Yeah. Yeah. It's probably something to do with the nature of the, the, the Fey are. You know? Yeah, probably. But you're right about, you know, going straight for the power. Right. Yeah. You know, it's it's they became kings and sorcerers and, and warriors of old. Notice mm-hmm. that it says that they became mighty in their day. Um, so I think it's pretty clear to me that the rings are what, you know, made them so. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, they might I have think, been in positions to begin with. Oh, sure. Yeah. They probably had, you know, they probably had some sort of uh, positions of lordship, you right. know, before. I mean, I doubt um, Sauron fact, was handing these out under freeway overpasses, you know, handing <laughs> them to the, to the, you know, the homeless guy with a bottle of Thunderbird. Uh, you know, hey, you want a ring? <laughs> Sorry. I, I hope not. I am um, in a rare mood tonight, apparently. <laughs> it's good. Keep it going. I won't stop you now. No. Um, but, uh, you know, actually, we had a question sort of about this from one of our listeners, Andy, mm-hmm. okay. um, who who said, you know, well, the elven rings were given to, you know, the three senior elves. Uh, the dwarven rings maybe were given to the seven heads of the dwarf clans. Why were the nine given to ordinary men? rather than to, say, the king of Numenor. Well, that's an interesting um, question. Um, it, it is, yeah. I, I mean, I, I think we have to see, first off, that they weren't given to the three senior elves. I mean, Celebrimbor took those three and said, we got to do something with these. True, that is true. Uh, and they, you know, distributed them. Um, you know, they, they were the ones just, themselves who decided They probably they were the three that were making the decision, so they just yeah. said, okay, let's just get rid of them quickly. And it was yeah. exactly that. It was all about spreading them out, you know. Yeah. To, to send two to, to it wasn't Lindon, as though which it was a very gift far away. To the, it wasn't as like it was a gift. To the, it, wasn't a, no. it wasn't swag. It wasn't the power swag. Power, you know? Sauron didn't just, you know, send it on over. Hey, we right. think you're really cool. Would you wear this for us right. the next time you're on right. TV? 
Right. Um, and we talked about the fact that maybe that we don't really know for sure that the Dwarven rings were given to, no, you know, no. those seven kings. It's a reasonable assumption. It's probably there is just an assumption. But mm-hmm. the nine were given to lords. They weren't given to quite mm-hmm. ordinary men. And in fact, three were given to great lords of Numenorian race. Uh, right. And that right. probably includes the head of them all, the witch king himself. Right. Uh, and we know that I'm the sure. second in command was the only one who was ever named, Kamul. Uh, and mm-hmm. he was an Easterling, so probably a, a chieftain or warlord of some kind. And um, that is in that's in Unfinished Tales, isn't it? I, uh, Kamul, yeah, 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 yeah. I believe it is. I mean, I know it's there. I'm not sure if it's any place else. I was just actually reading uh, that of the the, uh, the Hunt for the Ring. Uh, okay, yeah. And that's where you find out that he's also the number two in command. Right. Um, he was actually up at uh, up at Baradur while uh, the Witch King himself was in. Uh, Minas it was Morgul. in Angmar, right? Oh, it was in Mor. Okay, Minas Morgul before that's when they right. left, when they all left to start okay, right. hunting things. Oh, down. that's right. Okay, yeah, yeah. He and one other, while the other seven were uh, were down in, in Minas Morgul. Okay. So uh, yeah, he was probably a chieftain or warlord. I would I would imagine I'm that all sure, of them yeah. were some kind of you know position of authority, even I if would. they weren't necessarily the king or the warlord. They yeah. were a rival. Um, in fact, it almost makes more sense that they were, uh, you know, rivals. That they were maybe like the next guy down the totem pole because that sort of ambition. Because that's the person who wants exactly, more power, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, somebody who's in enough of a position to do something with the power, mm-hmm. but but not already you go in the to, number you one You go to spot. the high king of, of any tribe or anything. They're, right. They, they've already got it. What do they want? Yeah, exactly. I, suppose, you know, I would tell him, want more, but, but I don't think he'll be very interested. He'll be, he'll be very keen. He <laughs> He's already, already got one, one you'll see. <laughs> Um, so, you know, he, he, he found targets in men who had power, but who wanted more power. Yeah, that um, makes sense. But it, but he does ask an interesting question. Why not the king of Numenor, the king? Realistically, Sauron just didn't have influence there yet. It was a long ways away. You know, we know yeah, that, that Numenor true. was closer to Valinor than it was to Middle-earth. Uh, Sauron wasn't exactly known as a great mariner. Um, but, you know, he, so he didn't have any influence there. And right. as we saw last chapter, frankly, he didn't have to turn Arpharazon into a ring wraith to accomplish his goals. That's true. Um, yeah. Arpharazon was corruptible yeah. enough. Yeah. When wearing the one ring especially, Sauron had the ability to, you know, really to manipulate whomever, you know, whatever man he wanted to. Yeah. Yeah, that's so. a good point. Yeah. No, that is that is really interesting. I think that's I think that's very very likely exactly how it played out. So yeah, yeah not exactly ordinary men, but no. men with something with something to strive for. Right, right. And, and that's exactly power. and that's exactly the the lure of those rings. So mm-hmm. I guess with all that said, so what do we think actually happened to them? I mean, it, yeah. to me, it seems like you know the the corruption that we see with them. I think you know. So we've got this idea that they saw these phantoms that right. were given to them by Sauron. To me, I, I am going back to that um, essay we read recently about Amon and mortal men. You know, this sort oh, of yeah. desyncing of the Hroa and the Fea when yeah, uh, when one would be given, you know, long life. I, I wonder sense. if there's a little bit of that going on too. Certainly, that they're they're the spirit and the body sort of separate in a way. Yeah, I, yeah, I mean, they're not in harmony anymore. I no, think, I mean, um, the body is certainly not even in this dimension. I mean, it's right. that they're invisible right. to everybody else. That's that's bizarre. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, and they, they just become shadows. It, yeah. We'll probably talk more about the Nazgul maybe when we do get to Fellowship. Uh, I think we'll have to really dive into kind of their nature. But for now, we'll we'll just keep moving on because otherwise we're going to be here <laughs> until tomorrow. Yeah. Um, again, next little section here we're not going to read. We're just going to talk about um, that Sauron is in charge. This is not Charles in charge. This is Sauron in charge. Uh, <laughs> 
<laughs> wow. Uh, now I got that song in my head. Thank you. <laughs> There's an earworm for you. Yeah. Um, so he named himself, just like his old boss, Lord of the Earth, right? You know, oh, I that's this a classic. Unto myself and that unto that's myself. That's a classic. Uh, but the elves refer to the, this time as the Black Years or the Days mm-hmm. of Flight. Um, mm-hmm. But there is a break in this this onslaught, really, of, of Sauron just overtaking everything. Uh, because right. you've just got these, you've got these tiny little retreats, right? You've got uh, the Havens, and you've got Imladris, and that's just about it. Um, yeah, you know. So, but but eventually, it's, there kind, does... it's kind of again like like Beleriand was towards the end of the first age, yeah. where there's just a yeah, just it's a few just little overrun, outposts. and there's just a few little oases. Exactly, yeah. exactly. This is, uh, you know, he's you can't stop him. There's nothing you can yeah. do. He's just eating up the entire you know free world. Um, yeah. But he can't take Numenor yet. You know, mm-hmm. he doesn't really have the ability to project power. You know, he doesn't have a naval force. Um, and But there is, so there is eventually a stay in this onslaught, as the text says, um, because Numenor came to him. And mm-hmm. he ended up going back, like we saw in, in the Akalabath. Um, yeah. So, you know, it, it's he's gone for a while. Um, mm-hmm. Interestingly, and we're again, we're not reading it, but this, this idea that he... Um, went down into the abyss. So his body was destroyed and his spirit yeah. came back. Um, yeah. he was a little bummed that Wally was gone. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> had gotten a little more power. I mean, he's like, yeah, wait a minute, yeah. what? So, Man. uh, you know, you leave for a few minutes. I was, and... I was sick for one week and Gil Galad got elected class president. <laughs> oh, good stuff. Um, so he gets back home uh, to Baraduri, where we learned uh, before that he took up again his one ring, uh, and that he meditated war, mm. which is just a dark thought. Yeah. Um, what? Yeah. I meditated on war today. <laughs> I just sat and thought war. Just, just thinking war. Just, Instead of oh, right? It's yeah. War. Just war. War. That's gruesome. What is it good for? <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> absolutely nothing. In this his case, absolutely everything. Absolutely take everything over the whole world. Very, very true. <laughs> Sorry, I can just see, um, I can see Kamul asking him, gee, Brian, what are we going to do tonight? <laughs> Same thing we do Same every thing night, Kamul. Try to Try take, to take, over, take over, over the world. The world. Yeah. Anyway, Man. so I really am. Yeah. If Sauron had been a mouse, things would have been <laughs> With so very much large easier. Large ears, very large, and a really dumb sidekick, yeah. a brilliantly yeah. dumb sidekick. Yeah, I don't know that we'll ever probably get another Pinky and the Brain reference in on this show, but that was a brilliant well, little cartoon. Challenge accepted. <laughs> oh man uh, I will wait to, to see how you succeed Gothmog are you pondering what I'm pondering <laughs> I think so Sauron oh goodness goodness good stuff um, so we get I can't hardly think now <laughs> well just, I think uh, I think I've got the next passage don't I I think you do and please take yeah, because, it while I I'll try not to laugh out loud while you're reading there's a, there's a little paragraph of, uh, of of just summarizing the Akalabath which we just yeah. read and I'll just yeah. I'll but just read what happens because it talks about it. where they're at and kind of establishes their realms yeah please do. yeah yeah 
Elendil was cast up by the waves in the land of Lindon, and he was befriended by Gilgalad. Thence he passed up the river Lun, and beyond Arad Luin he established his realm, and his people dwelt in many places in Eriador, about the courses of the Thun and the Baranduin. But his chief city was at Anuminas, beside the water of Lake Ninuiel. At Fornost, upon the North Downs, also the Numenorians dwelt, and in Cardolan, and in the hills of Rudar. And towers they raised upon Amon Baride, and upon Amon Sul. And there remain many barrows and ruined works in those places. Mm-hmm. But the towers of Amon Baride still look towards the sea. Isildur and Anarion were borne away southwards, and at the last they brought their, brought their ships up the great river Anduin, that flows out of Rovanion into the western sea in the Bay of Belfalas. And they established a realm in those lands that were after called Gondor, whereas the northern kingdom was named Arnor. Very good. So we get the establishment of the realms in exile. Mm-hmm. Uh, we won't read the next, you know, the rest of that paragraph, but we get a lot of the little places um, and big yeah, places. Some, we of the, get... some, of, some of the big locations. Oh, yeah. The, you know, the capitals, We're all familiar with things like Osgiliath and Minas Ithil, Minas Ithil and Minas Anor and... Uh, or and yeah, and Orthanc. I, I Numinos is mentioned a few times in Lord of the Rings, but it's fallen, of course, so we never see it. Right, um, but right. that was the but northern we... capital. Yeah, yeah. Um, we also get you know quick little mentions of uh, some of their their great works, right? The mm-hmm. Argonath, yeah, uh, the glittering caves, the Stone of Erech, yeah, um, Orthanc we'll itself. See again. Yeah, the the pinnacle of Orthanc itself, which uh, yeah, which was one of those uh, those cool works. Um, Boy, yeah, yeah, that makes really, me think really. of uh, what was the word you used last time from from um, oh, uh, that, from Beowulf, the uh, the Enta Gewerk, yeah, Gewerk, yeah, Gewerk, yeah, the work of giants, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah, Orthanc uh, for you, right there. Yeah, well, and in fact, the word Orthanc actually comes from that. One of the one of the phrases used in Old English poetry was Orthanc Enta Gewerk, the the cunning work of giants, I believe. Oh, that's right, cunning. Yeah, yeah. So that word Orthanc actually comes from that. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Um, and next up, what did they bring with them? You know, you, 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 mm, you can only take a few stuff. things. The, the The island is sinking into the <laughs> into the ocean, so <laughs> make sure your bags are packed. Got to move quickly. What can yeah, you get? Yeah, you do. Um, Many treasures and great heirlooms of virtue and wonder the exiles had brought from Numenor. And of these, the most renowned were the seven stones and the white tree. The white tree was grown from the fruit of Nimloth the fair that stood in the courts of the king at Armenelos in Numenor, ere Sauron burned it. And Nimloth was in its turn descended from the tree of Tyrion. That was an image of the eldest of trees, white Tilperion, which Yavanna caused to grow in the land of the Valar. The tree, memorial of the Eldar and of the light of Valinor, was planted in Minas Ithil before the house of Isildur, since he it was that had saved the fruit from destruction but the stones were divided. Three Elendil took, and his sons each two. Those of Elendil were set in towers upon Emin Beride, and upon Amon Sul, and in the city of Anumnus. I'm sorry. An- <laughs> You're going to have to help me with this one, Sean. I always get the stress on the wrong syllable on this word. Anumnus? Anumnus. That's what I thought. Anum- okay. Yeah, yeah. I don't know why I thought it was, maybe I was getting it wrong. It's the anti-penult in this case. But, it yeah. is, yep. Anuminous. But those of his sons were at Minas Ithil and Minas Anor, and at Orthanc and in Osgiliath. Now these stones had this virtue that those who looked therein might perceive in them things far off, whether in place or in time. For the most part, they revealed only things near to another kindred stone, for the stones each called to each. But those who possessed great strength of will and of mind 
might learn to direct their gaze whither they would. Thus, the Numenorians were aware of many things that their enemies wished to conceal, and little escaped their vigilance in the days of their might. Hmm. Oh, my. Well, I think we'll probably, since we're already kind of running short on time, is, is maybe we'll, we'll only talk a little bit about the stones. But yeah. um, do you have some things to say about the tree's line of descent, right? Well, just uh, mainly just I wanted to – I think we talked about it a little bit last time and we've talked about it before. I, mm-hmm. I just think it's interesting that at this point the tree is actually planted in Minas Ithil, yeah. um, which becomes Minas Morgul. You know, it, it's moved to Minas Anor later. Yep. Um, this you know, tree the, is moving around a lot. <laughs> really, yeah. I mean, it's, really. It's, yeah, this this tree of the trees, the family tree of the trees is, uh, is <laughs> yeah. long and storied. It really uh, is. Just, just an interesting thing. You know, we think of the one in Minas Tirith as coming from – uh, is coming from, you know, the West, but it really was a seedling of the one that was planted at, at Ithil, ultimately. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, that's really all I wanted to, to point out about that. Oh, okay. I think we've gone into pretty good detail about the tree's line of descent we in did. previous episodes. Yeah. yeah, we've done it, I think, a couple times. Yeah. Uh, now, the stones like are to, new. I would like to talk a little bit about the stones. Yeah, we, sure, need to, yeah. we need to a little bit. We just, we probably can't talk quite as much about it as we'd hoped. But yeah, tell no. us a little bit about uh, where they went. Let's, let's recap those again. Yep, so there's seven of them. Uh, three of them went to Arnor. So there's one in Amon Beride, which we know later as Tower Hills, okay. um, near the Shire. Uh, one went to Amon Sul, which yep. we know better as Weathertop. Weathertop. Yeah, and then one goes to Anuminas, which was Elendil's capital in the north. And that's north of, so the, the, the north-south road that goes through Bree, you keep taking that north and you end up in Fornost. And that's I where, think that's right, yeah. Uh, yeah, okay. Yeah, I think that's right, yeah. I don't have the map in front of me, but... Um, yeah, so that's those three that are in the north. And then there's four in Gondor. So there's one in Minas Ithil, which okay. became Minas Morgul. And, of course, that's the stone that ended up in Sauron's hands in Barad-dur. Right. Uh, there's one in Minas Anor, which became Minas Tirith. So that's Denethor's stone. Mm-hmm. Um, there's one in Orthanc, which becomes the one that Sauron looks into and that Pippin ultimately looks into later. And Aragorn. And, there's, and Aragorn, that's right. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, and then there's one in Osgiliath, which yeah. ends up being lost. Yeah. Uh, so, if you really want to research, you know, it really is. And if you want to study a little bit more about the Palantiri, I, I highly recommend uh, reading that section in, in Unfinished Tales. That book is worth getting just for the background information you can get on the Palantir yeah. uh, and on the Astari. Uh, I mean, there's so much really cool backstory there that answers so many of those questions that people have. Uh, yeah. but, but let's take a look real quick at some of those bits and pieces or quotes from uh, from Unfinished Tales. First, we need to we need to learn that the stones, as Tolkien says, were originally innocent, serving no mm-hmm. evil purpose. It was Sauron who made them sinister and instruments of domination and deceit. Right. Um, yeah, I mean they, they were they were designed for surveillance, basically. They right, were you right. know they were just they were close to the TV cameras, you know. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And they really were, they were as just... we'll get to in terms of like what what, <laughs> what their powers were. But yeah, um, absolutely. But what did they look like? Yeah. So they were uh, perfect spears. Um, and they, when it, they appeared at rest to be made of solid glass or crystal deep black in hue, okay. I'm paraphrasing a little bit. Sure. Um, the smallest ones were about a foot in diameter, uh, but some of the, the main stones, like, uh, for sure we know the one in Osgiliath and the one in Amon Sul, uh, were larger. They were actually big enough that they couldn't be lifted by one man. Oh my. Yeah. And, uh, they were actually, they were in custom tables. Yeah. <laughs> they were, um, and they were, they were <laughs> Did really, they really from Ikea. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure. Yeah, probably. Um, 
And uh, and it's a good thing because they were unbreakable. So even if they yeah. broke through those IKEA tables, they wouldn't break. They, oh, I mean, they were really really sturdy. Um, yeah. I mean, they they thought Huge. that some thought that maybe the heats of you know Mount Doom might be enough to destroy them. But I don't think anybody ever actually put that to the test. No. That's what was interesting. Yeah, I mean, what was really interesting to me though in the unfinished tales was just how they worked. I think. Well, yeah, they worked. It was all it was all about line of sight, wasn't it? I mean, yeah. If yeah. you were looking through the stone and you wanted to see, let's say you were on on weather top, and you wanted to see um, what was to the west of the stone on uh, on the Tower Hills, mm-hmm. you would have to be standing to the east of the stone, looking right. west, looking as, through and, it exactly. West, yeah, and as you yeah. moved around, your view moved. <laughs> right. So it, yeah, it was like a 360 degree telescope. It, almost. it was like VR, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. It's like you know, putting on the goggles, except that you mm-hmm. got it through this this thing. Um, but yeah, you yeah. would you would only see. It's just fascinating how they work yeah. in that regard. Well, and then so they would put them up in high places, right? right so right. yeah, because line of sight was important. Mm-hmm. Um, and they only saw, you know, yeah. they there's no there's no sound. Yeah. Um, there's no. You know, so if you wanted to say something, you'd have to like write it out on a piece of paper and hold it in front of the stone. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, or, or you know, kind of look look in someone's eyes, kind yeah. of as Pippin did in Sour. Pippin That's did true. In Sour. Because they could look in someone's thoughts. eyes and start. Right, they could transmit thoughts if they were if, if they were looking at each other. Willing. Yeah. Right. Right. So it's just really fascinating stuff about the way they worked and um, and how they were made. Well, not how how they were made, but what they yeah, looked we like. Don't and know what, how you know. exactly how they were made. right. I do wish we could spend more time on them, and, and I'm I'm sorry, folks, that we have such a short uh, time to spend, but we are rapidly approaching two hours, and we want to try to keep yeah. this reasonable. Yeah. Um, but again, check out the Unfinished Tales. Please There's a few do. Pages about please do. And I'm sure we will revisit this uh, yeah. in the Lord we'll, of the Rings. It's just you know, it's going to be a while before spoiler, we get to two we towers. Spoiler: We will see the spoiler. We will see a Palantir again. Yeah, so. you think? Yeah. Uh, we won't see it in the Hobbit though, so it'll be a while. No, it's true. Um, well, next up, we've got a little bit of reading for you to do. Okay. We're going to skip a so bit talk- here just to let everybody know. Yeah. We're, we're moving yeah. forward. And, and the good news is we're getting into stuff that people have heard before. Oh, yeah. A lot of this is in the prologue. This is oh, all yeah. more things, you know. So, so I'm speaking of Sauron here. Mm-hmm. There now he brooded in the dark until he had wrought for himself a new shape. And it was terrible, for his fair semblance had departed forever when he was cast into the abyss with the drowning of Numenor. He took up again the great ring and clothed himself in power. And the malice of the eye of Sauron, few even of the great among elves and men, could endure. Now Sauron prepared war against the Eldar and the men of Westerness, and the fires of the mountain were awakened again. Mm. Wherefore, seeing the smoke of Orodruin from afar, and perceiving that Sauron had returned, the Numenorians named that mountain anew Amon Amarth, which is Mount Doom. And Sauron gathered to him great strength of his servants out of the east and the south, and among them were not a few of the high race of Numenor. Mm. For in the days of the sojourn of Sauron in that land, the hearts of well-nigh all its people had been turned towards darkness. Therefore many of those who sailed east in that time and made fortresses and dwellings upon the coasts were already bent to his will, and they served him still gladly in Middle-earth. Wow. I mean, (laughs) their land gets destroyed because of him. And they, they still they serve can't him. go home, but they still serve him. Well, because you know, in their stories, they spin it as being oh, yeah. the Valar, or Iluvatar, right. you know, yeah. some, yeah, that jerk. Right. <laughs> I mean, right. We deserved eternal life. 
Yeah. yeah. What's wrong with that guy? Now, before we get too far into this uh, or or move on any further, I want to catch something that was the very beginning of the of your section there. There now he brooded in the dark. Can we just do a quick survey of brooding in the Silmarillion? Never, never, ever a good thing in the Silmarillion. There really aren't very many appearances of the word. Mm-hmm. Uh, we get that Melkor brooded in the outer darkness, uh, <laughs> you know, because that's what yeah. he does. Then Feanor brooded in the dark. Then we get that um, Arpharazon brooded darkly, thinking of war. And now we get yeah. Sauron brooding in the dark. Yeah. So, yeah. um that's really nice company you're keeping there, Fanor. Uh, I mean, seriously, Melkor, Arizona, and Sauron. Yeah, wow. Seriously, it is. I mean, it, really. Brooding what in is the it? dark is not good. No. no. Yeah. Brooding bad guys. Brooding. What is it with the brooding bad guys? Seriously. Seriously. Sure, I'll be asking my daughter that question someday. <laughs> I hope not. Oh, man. Well, you live in Texas, so all you need to do is just, you know, pump that shotgun. Pump the shotgun, and there you go. Be back yep. about 10. Why don't you bring him home to meet daddy, sweetheart? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, goodness. Um, yeah. yeah. So we get the renaming of Mount Doom. That's yeah. iconic. Amon Amarth, yep. Yeah, which is another, I was going to say that's a great name for a band, but it actually is a band. It actually is the name of a band. That's ding, true. Ding, yeah. ding, for the first time, I yeah. think, we've actually caught the name of a real band. Yep, that's true. Uh, yep. And you've got some word nerdery here, right? Some, some words uh, I think you wanted to talk about. Yeah, well, you talked about some of these black Numenorians, and uh, and we actually have two of them that are named. Oh, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. In- interestingly, just these two names that just kind of come out of nowhere, uh, Herumor and Fuanur, uh, who rose to power among the Haradrim. So they were they were men of Numenorian race. I mean, they mm-hmm. have Quenya names. Right, uh, right. Herumor is Black Lord, and Fuanur is Deep Shadow or Shadow Servant, something like that. Wow. Um, and and these are I mean these are bad guys with yeah, names these like are that. Not... <laughs> yeah. Hello, my yeah. name is Black Lord. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Yeah. I know. Uh, um, and and you know presumably their parents gave them these names. Yeah. You know it's not like I'm... Morgoth, the Black Foe that was. They lack subtlety. <laughs> yeah. So oh, it's goodness. just these are these are you know black Numenorians who rose to power as, as mm-hmm. rulers among the Haradrim. It's an interesting parallel of the Noldor moving east and ruling over Nandor. No, it it's is, isn't it? Funny way my mind works. I thought of that comparison. Yeah, you know, yeah. it's just kind of like an evil version of that. Yeah. Um, we don't get anything else about these guys, unfortunately. But no. uh, presumably they were, uh, you know, they were chieftains of the Haradrim. Probably yeah. some of the some of the ones we saw in Lord of the Rings are descended from them. Yeah, presumably. Uh, we're not going to read this next little bit, but Sauron attacks and he takes mm-hmm. Minas Ithil, destroys the white tree. I'm sure he was like, this stupid tree again? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I thought I burned this thing. What anyway. is it with you guys in this tree? It's a tree. Come I on. For crying out loud. It what is do you a want with this tree. tree? What, is, what is your deal? Did um, you smell how it reeked when we burned it? Come on, man. <laughs> Why do you want this thing? Uh, did you name this after your, your uh, grandmother? <laughs> after your grandmother? <laughs> uh, so then we get the famous Last Alliance. And I'm going to go ahead and read this very long passage. And I'm sorry that it's long, but it's, uh, it's well worth reading. It's worth it, yeah. Now, Elendil and Gilgalad took counsel together, for they perceived that Sauron would grow too strong and would overcome all his enemies one by one if they did not unite against him. Therefore, they made that league which is called the Last Alliance. And they marched east into Middle-earth, gathering a great host of elves and men. And they halted for a while at Imladris. It is said that the host that was there assembled 
was fairer and more splendid in arms than any that has since been seen in Middle-earth, and none greater has been mustered since the host of the Valar went against Thangorodrim. From Imladris they crossed the Misty Mountains by many passes, and marched down the river Anduin, and so came at last upon the host of Sauron on Dagorlad, the battle plain, which lies before the gate of the Black Land. All living things were divided in that day, and some of every kind, even of beasts and birds, were found in either host, save the elves only. They alone were undivided and followed Gilgalad. Of the dwarves few fought upon either side, but the kindred of Durin of Moria fought against Sauron. The host of Gilgalad and Elendil had the victory, for the might of the elves was still great in those days, and the Numenorians were strong and tall and terrible in their wrath. Against Iglos, the spear of Gilgalad, none could stand, and the sword of Elendil filled orcs and men with fear, for it shone with the light of the sun and of the moon, and it was named Narsil. Then Gilgalad and Elendil passed into Mordor and encompassed the stronghold of Sauron, and they laid siege to it for seven years, and suffered grievous loss by fire and by the darts and bolts of the enemy, and Sauron sent many sorties against them. There in the valley of Gorgoroth, Anarion son of Elendil was slain, and many others. But at the last the siege was so straight that Sauron himself came forth, and he wrestled with Gilgalad and Elendil, and they both were slain, and the sword of Elendil broke under him as he fell. But Sauron also was thrown down, and with the hilt shard of Narsil, Isildur cut the ruling ring from the hand of Sauron and took it for his own. Then Sauron was for that time vanquished, and he forsook his body, and his spirit fled far away and hid in waste places, and he took no visible shape again for many long years. Wow. Man, I all I can see is, well, I mean, I, I, I know that the, the films... <laughs> I know. There are some times where I don't like that the films have given me an image and that all I can see is that image, but in this case, I'm okay with it. I have to say the prologue is pretty cool. I love really seeing that. I love seeing all the elves lined up for battle. And the shore um, music at that point is special. The shore music is really good. Really, yeah. really good at that moment. Um, yeah. The we don't see much of Gilgalad at that. No, uh, I very think, little. I think we see think him. We once. see him. We see him kill one guy. Right. We yep, see a little with the spear. little spear action. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, we see a Lendil. Mm-hmm. We see a Sildur. Yeah. Uh, it's it's a cool scene. It's a great scene. Powerful I'll scene. give it that. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, you know, Fellowship of the Ring is the yeah. best one of those six movies, I have yes, to say. Yes, it is. Absolutely. Each one is just slightly less than the previous one. Well, yep. okay. There's a big jump between three and four, but <laughs> we'll, very, we'll get to that very, in a few episodes yeah, when we talk yeah. about the films. Um, yeah. Again, we get the, this recognition of the need for unity. Teamwork. Yay. Yep. You know, Go we've team. seen yep. teams. This is this is the, the kind of the pinnacle of that in terms of yeah. – um, of men and elves. I mean, you yeah. know, we've seen it before with elves and Valar. We've seen it with you know, all these different, we've seen it among the Valar. Mm-hmm. So very, very important. And the sad thing, well, we'll get this next time, but the sad thing is, you know, they call it the last alliance for a reason. Yeah, you know, it, that's it, true. it doesn't happen again, which is sad. Yeah. I don't think they um, called it the last alliance at the time. Probably not. No. <laughs> Let's call this the last alliance. Cause after this, we're done. We're done. <laughs> yeah. Right. I'll help you this unless, time. Unless no they were being cocky and they just thought that this would be the last time they'd have to fight that the Dark That may be Lord, true. Right? Maybe they thought, yeah, this is the last alliance because, you know, then we'll finally get rid of evil forever. Yeah, yeah. 
greatest host no. since the yeah no since the host of the Valar thirty five hundred years ago. My that's goodness. a long that's a time. long time, mm-hmm. uh, and none greater except for that one. Yeah, sad that all living things fought on both sides except for elves. There were dwarves yeah. on that side. Of well, course, we know there were men, but even beasts yeah. and birds. Well, yeah, we see that. I mean, yeah, we, we see do. yeah wolves you know, and, and yeah, bats. Yeah, see wolves, um, Sauron and his elephants. <laughs> you know, I mean, they, we, <laughs> Hannibal, we see. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. Um, yeah, we see all this stuff. Um, the Moomakil. So it shouldn't surprise us. But what I think is really telling is the fact that only the elves yes. were not divided. They're the only um, ones who fought. It kind of it kind of shows how much how far elves are above every other living thing on yeah. Arda. They are they yeah not ever are they yeah. deluded into thinking that Sauron is the side they should fight on. Right. I mean, yeah. even a and, even and a let's, bad guy like Feanor, the... the closest you get is um, uh, Myglin, right? He's the closest yeah. one, and he does, of course, actually fight on the side of Morgoth. Uh, during the uh, the attack on yeah, Gondolin. by the end, yeah, yeah. Uh, but other than him, there's not a single elf who ever fights with Sauron. Now they do some stupid things; they kill each other. Mm-hmm. You know, Sauron's or Morgoth was like, "Hey, you know, I don't have yeah. to fight you. You can kill yeah. each other." But at least in this case, the elves knew better. They yep. fought only against him. Yep. So cool. Cool names of the weapons: Igloss, uh, yep. Gilgalad, Igloss. Uh, oh man. I, yeah, Igloss means. Eyegloss means icicle or snow. I think it's literally oh. snow point, but snow it basically point. means okay. icicle. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Very cool. And so, uh, of course, uh, Narsil. We we know Narsil yeah. very well. I'm just thinking um, it's like spear of piercing cold plus two is eyegloss, you know, <laughs> right? Yeah. So yeah. anyway, but yeah, yeah. Narsil, the, um, yeah, the flame, right? I like I like that it's, it actually says it's shown with the light of the sun and the moon because Isn't the name Narsil cool? is reminiscent of Anar and Isil, Anar the, and the names of the sun and the moon. Absolutely. Um, but yeah, it basically means something like, you know, red flame and silver flame, something like that. I knew it was flame. I knew that was in there somewhere. Yeah. But... They're both words mean flame, but just different oh, colors of flame. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, apparently that the elves have lots of words for flame. I guess so. More, more words than snow, right? the Eskimos yeah. have for snow. Yeah. <laughs> Seven years of siege before Sauron came forth. That's a long Seven time. Seven years. I mean, I guess compared to like the siege of Angband, okay, maybe not that. But, you know, still. Well, that this was is less more... of a true siege. That was more. That of... was more of a cold war, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, they, yeah. they tried to encircle it, but they knew full well they didn't have it encircled. That's you know, true. They knew I mean, the north is, was open. Is... That's true. This is a full siege, isn't it? Yeah, this is a circle around Barad-dur. I mean, it is a tower, mm-hmm. so it's it's you know certainly you know physically capable of being encircleable. Yeah, it's encircleable. <laughs> if you want to use that word, I don't think I want to use that word. Um, but yeah, so when it finally you know it gets so bad that Sauron himself comes out. Now I guess that means he did have limited access to supplies. I mean that's that's the only reason I can see for the siege becoming that so you serious would actually, that he comes yeah. out. Yeah. Yeah. Because like his old boss, he's kind of a coward. Yeah. Um, so he ends up in combat, killing both Gilgalad and Elendil, but but is himself thrown down. And as we've seen at the mm-hmm. end of that prologue, Isildur cuts the ring and takes it. And we finally get to something that Peter Jackson has filmed. <laughs> <laughs> yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. Pretty amazing. And how well he has. And that particular stuff, yes. Well... That, believe it or not, wraps it up for another episode of the Prancing Pony Podcast. As always, we thank you very much for joining us tonight. 
And we ask that you join us again next time when we read the second half of Of the Rings of Power and the Third Age. And we finally... Thank you very much. (laughs) And we finally... I was hoping you would jump in with that. Yeah. And we finally come to the end of The Silmarillion. (sighs) Wow. Wow. And mostly talk about a lot of stuff you already know. (laughs) Pretty much. (laughs) We'll we'll do it with our usual (laughs) Prancing Pony podcast flair, so please don't miss it. Yep. And remember, if you're reading along and you like to take notes as much as we do, don't mark up your first edition hardcovers. Go to the official library tab on our website, theprancingponypodcast.com, where you can find links to cheap paperbacks of Tolkien's works, as well as audiobooks, music CDs, and some other cool things for your Tolkien collection. And if you buy through those links, you'll be helping to support this show without costing you a penny more. Absolutely. And you can support us also by leaving a review on iTunes. Please, we really do appreciate it. If you don't listen to us on iTunes, you can still leave a review there. You just, as long as you have an Apple ID, just take a couple moments and do that. Some of you have said some really kind things there, and we we are grateful. Yes, we are. And if you haven't done so already, you may subscribe on iTunes or through whatever your favorite podcast app is. You can find our RSS feed on our website, or you can find us on Google Play, TuneIn, Stitcher, and most other podcast directories. And a big thank you to those of you who are connecting with us on social media. We set out to start a conversation that everyone could join. That's why we called this The Prancing Pony. And it's why we have the online common room on Facebook at The Prancing Pony Podcast and on Twitter at Prancing Pony Pod. And just a reminder, we will be starting up that Patreon campaign by the time you're listening to this. So please check our website and social media channels for ways that you can support us and join in the adventure. And remember that social media is a great place to share our podcast as well. Mm -hmm. So please retweet us, share us, and tell your friends. That is really important. We can't ask you enough to please do that for us. And one last thing as always, don't forget to send your questions, comments, or your predictions on what this Isildur guy is going to do with the ring to the Prancing Pony Podcast <laughs> I have no idea. gmail.com and we'll try to get them into our next episode. Well, two hours and ten minutes is still far too short a time to spend amongst such admirable listeners. But until next time. Farewell, friends. <laughs> <laughs>